following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, it's Pepsi Mama and Victor welcoming you to another episode of Arts, the Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, like an ice cream Sunday. And um, we're glad to have you, and if you like what you hear, uh, push the like button, make it ring, and subscribe to us. You can listen to us live on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. Uh YouTube and Facebook, it's Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? On Twitter, it's at Blind Whose, B-L-I-N-D-W-H-O-S-E. And uh, you can listen to us on uh, just about any podcast player except Audible. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, they don't want us yet, so, uh, but maybe we'll get there before too long. Um. If you want to email us with comments, questions, suggestions, um, the email is afternoon radio theater Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-E, like the ice cream, at gmail.com. That's afternoon radio theater Sunday at gmail.com. Um, in case a few of you haven't caught on yet, um, to the new format that I'm doing. Uh, I'm featuring a show a week instead of, um, just doing, just instead of making themes and picking out different shows. Uh, thought I'd do it this way. Thought it might be fun. And, um, so anyway, Victor, you want to say hello to the people? Hi, everybody. Oh, there you go. Now that sounds good. <laughs> Usually he's just kind of hi everybody, <laughs> but I, I never. You do too. This this week we're doing um twenty first precinct, and I I just really like this one. Uh, it's it's about um well twenty first precinct is it has to do with uh, the New York Police Department and how they do what they do over there or I guess they still do it the same way <laughs> but you no know, the 21st are... precinct is downtown Manhattan uh, I thought it might be I thought it was there it just sounded like it was and I think they even mentioned it once that it was somewhere near Manhattan but anyway um, oh there I go doing that again <laughs> uh, doing what again Anyway, anyway, that drives me crazy when I do that. That's almost as bad as somebody, you know, you know, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the first one that I've got for you today is, uh, it's called Pigeon Drop Scheme. And um, it's, um, 
what what it what pigeon drop means is that it's kind of a um, small time con outfit. It's 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 a crime, but it's not too big a thing. So I guess that's why they call it pigeon drop. But um, they might call that a misdemeanor. <laughs> Well, like that's what it sounded like to me too, but, <laughs> uh, and so anyway, kick back, take your shoes off and, uh, let this hick and this Vic bring you some good radio. Why first precinct, Sergeant Waters? All right, get on over to 2nd Avenue. The third alarm on that fire just hit. Sergeant Tenney's on the job there. He'll put you to work on traffic. Yeah, that's right. You are in the muster room at the 21st Precinct, the nerve center. A call is coming through. You will follow the action taken pursuant to that call from this minute until the final report is written in the 124 room at the 21st Precinct. Okay, you're gone. Bring him when you get back on your post. Yeah. All right. 21st Precinct. It's just lines on a map of the city of New York. Most of the 173,000 people wedged into the nine-tenths of a square mile between Fifth Avenue and the East River wouldn't know if you asked them that they lived or worked in the 21st. Whether they know it or not, the security of their homes, their persons, and their property is the job of the men of the 21st Precinct. The 21st, 160 patrolmen, 11 sergeants, and four lieutenants of whom I'm the boss. My name is Kennelly, Frank Kennelly. I'm captain in command of the 21st. I was working my day tour, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. It was raining hard when I came on the job, and the 63 men who had patrolled the precinct on foot and in sector cars for the next eight hours turned out wearing rubber coats, boots, and cap covers. At ten minutes after nine, Lieutenant Gorman, the desk officer, rang into my office and informed me of a two-alarm fire in a loft building on 2nd Avenue. By the time a car came by the station house to take me to the scene of the fire, the third alarm had hit... The teeming rain added to our difficulties, and it had not stopped until about the time the fire was out at 11.14. I returned to the station house to finish the paperwork and begin a required inspection of departmental equipment. My calendar showed that I was scheduled to give a talk on safety to the student body of Julia Richmond High School at 1.30 p.m. So at noon, I changed to civilian clothes and took my rain-soaked uniform trousers under my arm. It was my intention to leave them to be pressed while I went for my meal in a restaurant a few doors from the tailor shop on 3rd Avenue, operated by Philip Parazzoni. Hello, Miss Parazzoni. How are you? I'm fine. I'm Captain Kennelly. Still. Well, you don't have to bother him. Still. Still, come here. Well, Mrs. Parazzoni, oh, I... Uh, hello, Captain. Oh, Phil, how are you? Phil. Uh, Rose, uh, you, you better get to 211 and pick up the work. Oh, all right. Yeah, the night doorman's uniform and the elevator operator's uniform from the, from the super. 211? Yeah, 211. All right. I'll get them. Yeah, only press if they want them back by 5 o'clock, huh? Only press. <sighs> Wives in the pistol. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes they ruin more customers than they're worth. Uh, yeah, yeah, Captain Pants. 
I got them soaked this morning, Phil. I'm giving a talk to some high school students at uh, 1.30 this afternoon. I wondered if I could get them pressed. Oh, sure, sure. They're not too wet, are they? No, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I'm going to have lunch down the block. Could I pick them up in about half an hour? Well, I'll, I'll deliver them to the station house if you want. No, no, that's all right. I'll pick them up. Yeah, okay. Thanks a lot, Phil. Oh, uh, Captain? Yeah? Uh, could I ask you something? Oh, Sure. What is it, Phil? Um, look, Captain. Yeah? I'm, I'm sorry how Rose acted. Yeah, what happened? You two have a fight? Yeah, yeah, I guess you could call it a fight. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, don't worry about well, it. Well, I am worried about it. You shouldn't treat people like that. Customers, especially you. Oh, it happens in the best of families. Yeah, in the best of families. I left Phil Parazzoni's tailor shop went a few doors down the street to a restaurant where I had my meal. When I returned for the uniform trousers a half hour later, Mrs. Parazzoni was not in the shop. At 1.30 p.m., I was introduced to the student body at Julia Richmond High School, and I talked for 20 minutes on the subject of safety, especially safe driving. It was 2.10 p.m. when I returned to the station house, where in the muster room, Lieutenant Gorman was desk officer, and Sergeant Waters was on telephone switchboard. A captain... Go ahead and take the call, Sergeant. Yes, sir. I'll sign the blotter. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Waters. Well, where were you born? The borough of Manhattan? Well, you go down to the Department of Health, 125 White Street. You can get a copy of your birth certificate there. 125 White Street. Well, where are you? On the east side? You take the Lexington Avenue Express downtown and change it 14th Street for the local. Right to White Street and it's just upstairs there. Okay, you're welcome. Yes, Sergeant, did you have something for me? Oh, yeah, Captain. What? Uh, you know that Phil Parazzoni from the tailor shop. Oh, what about him? Came in to see him. Yeah? He and his wife, I asked him to wait in your office. Are they in there now? Yes, sir. All right. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Waters. All right, where you be? Where? Hello, Phil. Oh, Captain. Oh. Uh, you, you know my wife, Rose? Yeah, sure. Hello, Miss Parazzoni. Hello. Well, what can I do for you, Phil? Well... He told me it wasn't the right thing to do. He told me in so many words. I wouldn't listen. Now, Rose, That's Rose. what he told me. It wasn't the right thing to do. What wasn't the right thing to do? It, it was all my fault. He didn't have anything to do with Rose, it. Rose, let me talk to him. Would you wait outside? Please? It's my w fault. Would you just stand outside and I'll get it straightened out? Is that all right with you, Captain? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, go ahead, Rose. Let me get it straightened out, huh? Yeah, all right. But it's my fault. Everything. Yeah, could I close the door, Captain? That's all right. I get it. Is it all right to wait here? Yeah, sure, that's all right. Well, uh, what's the trouble, Phil? Captain, when, when you came to the store to get your pants pressed... Yeah? Well, that's why she acted so funny, because it was you. You see, she, she thought you came to arrest her. That's why she acted that way. Arrest her for what? Well, it's a long story. It's a very long story. Well, what did she do? Look, Captain, when somebody has worked so hard for so many years, worked, really struggled, can you blame them too much if they see an opportunity to make some money just like that? A big opportunity to make it? Well, I can't blame them if it's legitimate. Well, in this case, it's legitimate and, and it isn't. Well, it can't be both. Well, I, I mean, the money don't really belong to anybody. Uh, you better start at the beginning, Phil. Yeah, well, it, it was yesterday morning. We, we were in the shop. Uh-huh. But Rose was at the counter, like like when you came in today, and I was in the back at the pressing machine. Yeah. Well, the door opened, and a customer came in, a woman, a very, a very pretty young woman. Yeah. Well, she came in mad as a wet hen. 
Well, I heard it talk as the rose, and I came up to see what the matter was. But she had on a nice wool suit, see? The, the front of the skirt was dirty and smudged, and I, I didn't blame her for being mad. Anyway, she said she was on the bus. She said two men got on, and, and the man who was sitting next to her saw the two men. Well, she thinks they were detectives, and they were after the man that was sitting next to her. Uh-huh. Well, anyway, he, he jumped out of the seat and crawled all over her and ruined the suit with his shoe, and went out the back door of the bus, and the two men ran out after him. Uh-huh. Well, anyway, a- after a minute, she looked down on the seat, and there was a package, you see? A pretty big package. Must, must have belonged to the man that the policemen were chasing. She, she picked it up. And did the woman have the package when she came into the store? Oh, yeah, yeah, she had it, all right. Oh, I see. Yeah, it was right down on the counter there all the time. Only, anyway, I, I said, I'd I try to fix up a skirt as best I could, and then she went in the dressing room. Yeah. Well, I was in the back there working on a skirt, and then the lady asked Rose to bring the package into the dressing room. She'd like to take a look at it while she was waiting. So, so Rose brought the package in, and Rose said, you know how curiosity can get the best of ladies. Oh, sure. Well, they, they sat there looking at it, and Rose was hoping that she would open it up, and... Finally, the lady decided to open it up. Well, what was in it? Well, I didn't know. I, I didn't find out until last night. Oh, didn't you? Well, she didn't say anything to me about it while we were in the store. I was busy back there. I didn't know what was going on in the dressing room. I see. Your wife only told you what was in it. Yeah, I never saw anything in there. Well, what was in the package? Money. Lots of money, Captain. How much? Well, I don't know exactly. Rose said at least 3000 they think. Well, aren't they sure? Well, well, Rose told me they didn't count it. They, they were so scared they didn't count it. I see. Oh, uh... The, the money, the money wasn't all that was in there. What else? Number slips. You know, slips from playing policy. Oh? Yeah, well, they figured out, Rose and the lady, that th- this fellow on the bus was a racketeer, you see, and he was being chased by the cops. Yeah. Oh, you even <clears throat> ask Rose in? Well, I think we ought to have this story from her, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I think we ought to. Uh, Miss Parazzoni. Yes? Would you come in now? All right, sure. Just have a seat. Yeah. Did you tell him, sir? Well, not everything yet. Sit down, Miss Tarzoni. Thank you. I, uh, I, I only got up to the part after you opened the package in the dressing room. Oh. Yes, I'd uh, rather hear the story from you, Miss Tarzoni, instead of what you told your husband. Yeah, sure. Now, how much money was in there? Well, we didn't count it. We saw all that money in the policy slips. We got scared. You and the lady? Yeah. We, we wrapped the package back up again. What was it, a stack of money? Yeah, a stack, about this thick, about two or three inches thick, lots of money. And was the pile of money tied up? Yeah, with a rubber band, a couple of rubber bands. And what was on top? A $20 bill. Mm-hmm. Did you see the bottom? Yeah, it was a, a 10, I think. There's a $10 bill on the bottom. You never did take the rubber bands off? I didn't even touch it. She was holding it. And you decided to wrap it up quickly? Yeah, she decided it. She said the, the best thing to do would be to call the police. That'd be the best thing. Well, why didn't you call the police? Well, I, I came back with the skirt. Uh, you better let her tell it, Phil. Oh, yeah, okay, all right. Well, uh, Phil came back to the dressing room with the skirt, and she had the package all tied up again. I, I took her out front of where the telephone was, and she walked over toward it, and she picked up the telephone, and all of a sudden, she hung up. Where was Phil? I, I wasn't back there. I was working on some work at, at the present machine. I don't know. I, I didn't see any of it. No, that's right. He didn't see any of it. Did she tell you her name? Not then. Well, did you ever find it out? Well, later she said it'd be best if I didn't know her full name. She said her first name was Marion. Uh-huh. Did she tell you why she didn't call the police? Yeah, yeah. She told me that she was afraid to call the police. She said that she was afraid that they'd find out that she had 22 parking tickets on her car. Never went to court about any of them. She was afraid she'd be arrested and find a lot of money and things like that. She said maybe it'd be better if she left the package in the store and if I'd call the police. Did you agree to that? Well, I, I didn't care, but... 
And she said there wasn't any reason why we couldn't keep the money to ourselves. Better that we should have it than the criminal. Well, see. The only thing was, she was afraid that the man from the bus might have gotten away from the cops and might have remembered her. So what did you do? Well, it, it was decided that we could leave it in one of those lockers in Grand Central Station. You know, one of the lockers right in the waiting room there. Your, yeah. your little locker with a key that you take out and put in a dime. Yeah, I know. Well, because she was scared, I took the package. Went out of the store and she followed me. I put the package in the locker and she said I could keep the key because I didn't know her full name or where to get in touch with her, but she sure knew me and she was sure I was on it. Is uh, the package still in the locker? Yes, yeah, still in the locker. And uh, you've got the key? Yeah, I've got the key. I've got it right here. <laughs> See? How much cash did she ask you to put up? So, so did you tell him she asked me to put up cash? No, no, I didn't tell him. Uh, how did you know she asked me to put up cash? I knew. How much was it? $750. Have you given it to her yet? No. Now I'm supposed to meet her this afternoon. Well, you're lucky, Miss Parazzoni. What do you mean, lucky? I'm worried to death. Scared to death. You're lucky. You not only didn't find $3,000 of someone else's money, you didn't lose 750 of your own. Now back to 21st Precinct and Captain Kennelly. I took Mr. and Mrs. Parazzoni upstairs to the 21st Detective Squad and into the office of Lieutenant Matt King, the squad commander. Shim-shamming, bunco, and pigeon-dropping, as the small con games are called, are old stories and easily recognizable to police officers. But to the victim, most missing. This is especially true because in many there is a blinding streak of larceny exceeded only by that in the con artist. These confidence rackets are invariably based upon the victim's desire to get something for nothing. Something that belongs to somebody else. To the police officer, the gullibility of people is amazing. It's incredible how many in the city of New York fall victim to these same old small con games year in and year out. In this case, Lieutenant King and Detective Louis DeLuca questioned the intended victim very closely as I listened. Why should she give you the key? If she were on the level, why wouldn't she suspect you'd go to the locker and get the package for yourself? Well, she told me that she trusted me because she knew where to get in touch with me. We were in business. She walked in off the street with a smudge on her suit, and that's sufficient reason for her to trust you with $3,000? Well, she told my wife she had to trust somebody. Yeah, that's right. She couldn't go to the police on account of the 22 parking tickets. You've known these people a long time, haven't you, Captain? Yes, ever since I've been in the precinct. Many years. As far as I know, they're good, honest, hard-working people. It was all my fault. After I told Phil, he said, why didn't I go to the police? I should have gone to the police, that's what he said. Rose, please, huh? If I meant for you to go to the police, I would have insisted. Now, let's pick this up for a minute where we left off. Yeah, all right. Yesterday, you and this Marion took the package down to Grand Central, and you got one of those dime lockers. Yes, that's right. Then what did you do? We went to a, I don't know, a coffee bar, I guess you called it, in Grand Central. We stood there, we had a cup of coffee, and she said... Well, I, I guess nobody followed us. I guess the detectives arrested the man. I said, yes, I guess they did. So she thanked me a lot for helping her, and she started to say how much I should get for helping her. She mentioned something like 25% of what was in the package. Well, I would have been satisfied with 25%, but anyway, we settled on the fact that I should get a third. We were supposed to meet at Grand Central right at this coffee bar exactly at noon today. We'd take the package someplace and open up and then split the money. How did she happen to give you the key? Well, it was her own idea. It was very nice of her, wasn't it? I thought it was. Then you parted company? Yes. What time did you get back to the store? Uh, it was about an hour after I left. 
Did your husband ask you where you'd been? Well, yeah, yeah, I asked her. She told me she had to go out with the lady to help her out. I asked her why she had to help out a stranger like that. She said she just did. She had to, that's all. And you accepted that answer? Well, I couldn't do nothing except accept it. What else could I do? When did you tell him about the money? Last night after dinner. I just couldn't keep it in me anymore. I told him about the package and about everything that was in it and how we went to Grand Central, how we put it in the locker and how she was going to meet me there tomorrow and I was going to get one third. Your husband told you to go to the police, didn't he? Yes, he told me. Yeah, I told her, but with no enthusiasm, with no enthusiasm whatsoever. Well, at least you told me. And you were intending to meet her at Grand Central Station at noon today and open up the package. Yes, that's right. Well, it was about noon that I came to your store. You were still there. Yes, I know I was there. I... I got a call from her on the telephone at 9.30 this morning. That's Marion? Yes, Marion. She said she was in awful trouble. She said she got home the night before, went to bed, and when she woke up in the morning, there was a policeman there. A policeman. The phone almost fell out of my hand. She said the policeman came to a restaurant on account of the 22 traffic tickets that she didn't show up in court for. She said the policeman took her down to the magistrate's court, and she was sitting there just waiting for her trial. So she said she couldn't meet me this noon, but that I ought to go down and put another dime in the locker at Grand Central Station. I told her I'd do that. She she made me promise to be sure not to open the package because we, we'd have to count the money together. And I told her I wouldn't, that I'd just put the dime in. Did you go down to Grand Central? Yeah. Yeah, I went down there. I went out of the store when the captain was in there. You remember that captain that I left? Yes, I remember. I'm so nervous. I didn't know what to do. I thought you came to get me. That's what I thought. But when I found out you didn't, I... I went over and got the subway and went down to Grand Central and put another dime in the locker. Did you look inside to see if the package was still there? Yeah, yeah. I opened up the locker. I looked inside to see it was still in there, the package. Then you went back to the store? Yes. What time was that? Well, it must have been about a quarter to one that I got back. What time did you hear from Marion again? About one o'clock, she called. What did she say this time? Well, she told me she'd been up before the judge. She said the judge was very mad at her for ignoring the 22 traffic tickets and he fined her $750. $750! $750! She had to have the money right away. She'd go to jail. She had to pay the fine by 4 o'clock that afternoon. She said she didn't know what she was going to do. The judge wouldn't let her leave the building, but he let her go out in the hall and use the pay telephone so she could call some friends. And if she didn't have it by 4 o'clock that afternoon, she'd go to jail. What'd you say to her? Well, I told her I told her she had all that money in Grand Central Station. I said she ought to be able to use that. But she said no, she didn't want to do that. She didn't want to take the chance on opening up the package. Not down there, because there are all kinds of cops around and everything. There's always all kinds of cops in the courthouse. Did you have any suggestions, Dover? Yeah, I, I told her I could open it up and, and throw the policy slips away. I, I could go to the ladies' room in Grand Central Station and throw them in the wastebasket or something like that and just bring the money down. But she said, no, that wouldn't be any good because we'd have to count the money together and each take our share so there wouldn't be any suspicion on either side. Well, that seemed fair, didn't it? Yeah, but... I knew she was in such trouble and she had to pay the $750 fine. Did she have any suggestions? Yes, she had a suggestion. She wanted to know if I had $750, if I could get it. And I, I said, yes, I could go to the savings account. And she said, please, please, wouldn't I do her a favor and draw out the money so she could pay the fine? And after she paid the fine, we'd go up to Grand Central and get the package and we'd split it right away and I'd get my $750 back. And she'd give me half of the rest instead of only a third. Did you agree to do that? Oh, Finally, I told her, all right, I would. And I told her that I'd meet her with the $750. Where was that? In the courthouse, down on Center Street. Where in the courthouse? On the second floor, right by the pay telephones there. She said that the judge had given her permission to go out and stand by the telephones to wait for calls and to make calls, but she had to be back inside the court and pay off the fine by 4 o'clock. And what time are you going to meet her? At a quarter to 4. Well, you ought to be thankful that you decided to bring the whole thing to me. You'd have given her the $750 and never seen her again. Yeah, but the package, I have the key to the locker. The package is in there. Yes, you'd have gotten back 30 of your $750. 
20 on top and a 10 on the bottom. But it looked like money to me. It always does. What made you decide to come and see me? Oh, that was Phil's idea. No, no, Rose. You decided it yourself. No, that's not true. It was his idea. See, he, he keeps the bank book in the drawer of the sewing machine. He, he was putting a new lining in a coat, and he wouldn't get away from it. Finally, he stood up to get something. I got the bank book. He saw me. So he asked me what happened, and I, I told him. He says, no, I can't go to the bank and get the money. But I told him I promised. He said, I don't care what you promised. But she decided to come here herself. She decided. He told me. So I decided. What do you think, Lieutenant? Think I ought to get out of Grand Central and pick up that package? Oh, what time is it now? Uh, quarter to three. I think you ought to leave it there, at least until we're sure that this Marion is down at the courthouse. She's just as liable to be standing in Grand Central watching that locker. If she sees a police officer or Rose go get the package, she's not going to show up at the courthouse. If it stays there in the locker, then she's sure the deal is on. Is it on? What should I do? You don't have to worry about that, Miss Parasoni. You just do what we tell you. It was decided that Mrs. Parasoni would go ahead and complete the transaction with the con artist she knew only as Marion. A dummy package of money prepared in exactly the same manner as the package left in the locker in Grand Central was gotten ready. There was a $20 bill on top and a 10 on the bottom. In between was plain paper cut to size. The serial numbers of the two real bills were recorded for evidence. Detective DeLuca was instructed to see that Mrs. Parasoni waited until the exact time of the appointment, entered the building, and took the elevator to the second floor. Lieutenant King and I went into the lobby of the building and met two detectives of the 5th squad. The four of us took the elevator to the second floor. It was hardly necessary to make ourselves inconspicuous in the corridor. The place, as always on court days, was jammed with police officers, defendants, witnesses, complainants, bail bondsmen, and attorneys waiting for their cases to be called in the various courts. The two detectives from the 5th squad were planted near the elevators. Lieutenant King and I walked to a place in the corridor close to the telephone booth, and there we waited. Captain, this is the first time I've heard of the criminal courts building being part of a con game. It's impressive, Matt. You've got to give her credit for that. Mm, that's impressive, all right. There's a woman waiting. Think that's her? Huh? She's pretty close to the description. Wait a minute. There's another one down there. Where? At the drinking fountain. Oh, yeah. Lots of them, Captain. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Guess so. How's the time? She's due up here now. Uh-huh. How about moving across there where we can see the elevators? Yes, sir, okay. There, the blue dress. Yeah, that could be hard too. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, look, we better not both watch the elevators, man. No, I'll uh, I'll look this way. You just let me know what's going on, okay? Okay. There's another one that could be the gal. That description fits half the women in New York. Yeah. There's Miss Parisoni coming off the elevator. She's starting to look around. Does she see her? Not yet. Which way is she looking? This way. Here she comes. She stopped. You think Marion showed? Yes, sir, she showed. This is 
Paris only is walking over to her. The one in the blue dress. I'd better keep looking this way. Yes, sir. She's greeted her. They're making the change. Mrs. Parazzoni is giving her the package. She's got it. All right, let's go. She's good looking, all right. You uh, think that'll help her? Yeah, so far. I don't know how much good it'll do from now on. Now, where will I wait for you? All right, we're police officers. I'll take that package. What package? When you've got there, I'll have it, please. Did you bring them? Why'd you bring them? Because you were cheating me. Give me the cheating package. You, I'll tear your eyes out right out right, of your head. Right. You're looking so wild. All right, doctor, come on. I'll kill her. I'll murder her. Right. Hold still there. I'll kill her. I'll... You stand over there, Miss Parazzoni. I'll Parazzone. kill her. I'll kill her. I don't think so. No, I don't think so either, but let her believe it. What'd she do, open up the package in Grand Central? No, it's still there. What made her ring in the law? You picked the wrong mark. <laughs> he was a cinch. Yeah, but... You didn't count on one thing. She's got a streak of honesty. Twenty-first precinct, Sergeant Waters. Yeah, that's right. Those are policemen working over there. What do you want to know for? Well, how does what they're doing concern you? Yeah. Yeah? Well, you'll just have to bear with us a while, mister. Getting her out is more important than you're losing a little sleep. All right. Yeah, we'll be through there right away. As soon as possible. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're welcome. And so it goes. Around the clock, through the week... Every day, every year, a police precinct in the city of New York is a flesh-and-blood merry-go-round. Anyone can catch the brass ring, or the brass ring can catch anyone. 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way the police work in the world's largest city, is presented with the official cooperation of the Patrolman's Benevolent Association, an organization of more than 20,000 members of the police department, City of New York. Everett Sloan in the role of Captain Kennelly... Ken Lynch as Lieutenant King. Harold Stone as Sergeant Waters. Written and directed by Stanley Niff. Produced for CBS Radio by John Ives. Art Hanna speaking. 21st Precinct has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
okay, y'all, this next one is, uh, it reminds me of an episode I saw on Dragnet, but there's a, a little bit of difference in it. Uh, it's called Dog Day, and uh, <clears throat> it's about this little four-year-old girl, and she gets bit by rabies. And or, Yeah, Monica, she gets bit by a dog. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I almost missed that one. <laughs> yeah, I wondered for a second. You what? You're not quite as alert. Oh, you can't get over the Hick and Vic. That's what that is. I can, yeah, um, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the the poor little thing gets bit by this dog, and um, the woman doesn't want to turn it over to. Uh, well, when you get when a I, I guess when somebody gets bit, they take your animal to the what is that place ASPCA or some such, and have it looked have it observed to make sure that it doesn't have rabies or anything. Just to look at it, and she didn't want to let it go. She was afraid she wouldn't get it back, and. Um, they had already lost two sons and she was afraid she'd lose her dog. So, but anyway, finally they, uh, appealed to her and got her to let the dog go. If I don't shut up, I'm going to end up giving you the story. So, uh, but anyway, it turns out that if the, if the little girl doesn't have the shots, the next day she's going to have to start taking 22 of those things one, one a day. And, uh, and back then they weren't very, very fun and I don't know what they're like now, but I don't even know if you take 22 of them now or not, but, um, I don't, I don't know. Hmm. Ask Nago. She might know. I tried. No, she uh, knows nothing uh, about rabies. So y'all yeah. kick back, y'all kick back and enjoy dog day. 21st precinct, Sergeant Klein. Well, who got bitten? Owl? Four. Where's the dog? You are in the muster room at the 21st Precinct, the nerve center. A call is coming through. You will follow the action taken pursuant to that call from this minute until the final report is written in the 124 room at the 21st Precinct. All right. You just wait right there in the emergency room. Yes, right there. I'll have an officer come over. Yes. Right away. 21st Precinct. It's just lines on a map of the city of New York. Most of the 173,000 people wedged into the nine-tenths of a square mile between Fifth Avenue and the East River wouldn't know if you asked them if they lived or worked in the 21st. Whether they know it or not, the security of their homes, their persons, and their property is the job of the men of the 21st Precinct. 21st Precinct. 160 patrolmen, 11 sergeants, and four lieutenants of whom I'm the boss. My name is Kennelly, Frank Kennelly. I'm captain in command of the 21st. It was 3.55 p.m. when I came into the precinct house for my night tour, which would keep me on the job until 8 the following morning. As I signed the blotter, Sergeant Burns, who was filling in as desk officer, told me that acting superintendent of buildings of the department was in the house making a routine inspection. After I turned out the platoon, I went upstairs and found the acting superintendent of buildings on the third floor. I called his attention to the cracked plaster in the hall ceiling on that floor and to the fact that during the last winter the radiators failed to heat the floor comfortably. On the way down, I showed him the worn condition of the stairs from the second floor to the back room 
And as we came out into the muster room, I told him about the plumbing difficulties in the cell. Well, thanks, Captain. Uh, do you have any idea when these repairs will be made? Well, there's a lot of work to do, Captain. There's nearly 100 buildings in the department, and most of them need work. Lots of work. Oh, yes, I understand that. But some need attention sooner than others, don't you think? Oh, yes, yes, some do. That's why I'm making the inspection. Well, this uh, muster room, for instance, it hasn't been painted since 1941. Did you realize that? Hey, Captain, you know I'd like to do everything, and I'd like to do it right away, but there's been only so much money appropriated. Well, it's been a pleasure, Captain. Sign the plotter and get on my way. A little bit behind schedule. I still have to visit the 23rd this afternoon. Where were you? Oh, uh, Mr. Balney wants to sign the blotter, Sergeant Burns. Step on around the back of the desk, Mr. Balney. Right over here, Mr. Balney. Well, thank you, Captain. Uh, that one's got whiskers. I used to use it myself. Ringing on time. What's doing, Sergeant? Oh, nothing much, Captain. Except that young fellow over there is waiting to see you. Well, who is he, do you know? He says his name is Weald. Harold Weald. Said it was personal. I told him you were busy. He said he'd wait. He wouldn't tell either me or Sergeant Burns what was on his mind. Excuse me, Captain. Yeah, go ahead. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Klein. Well, thanks for all your courtesies, Captain. I'll try to get something done. I promise you that. Oh, is your uh, what, ma'am? absolutely necessary, Mr. Balney, that we get sufficient heat up on the third floor. No one can work with Listen, that. madam. Well, it's a long time until winter. Please, Captain. madam. Yes, it was a long time since last winter, too. That's when I reported. Madam, uh, you have my word, Captain. There'll be someone here within two weeks. All That's right. a civil action, madam. If he owes your money, we can't collect it. You better see your lawyer. Oh, uh, I'll talk to that fellow that's waiting, Sergeant. Yes, sir. If you can't afford a lawyer, go to the Legal Aid Society. The Legal Aid Society. Mr. Wheel? Yes, that's right. Captain Connolly? Kennelly. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Well, what can I do for you? Well, listen, Captain, I'm sorry to bother you, but I got an awful problem. It's my kid. Well, what's the trouble? Well, she got bit by a dog. When was this? Friday morning. Where? In the playground there, you know, 62nd Street, York Avenue. Uh-huh. How old is she? Four. She's four. Excuse me, Captain. Yes? Division Captain is calling in for you. Oh, all right. Thanks, Sergeant. I'll take it in my office. Yes, sir. Come in, Mr. Wheel. Yeah, thanks. My mother takes her to the playground almost every day. Go ahead. Thank you. Have a seat there. I didn't think there was anything to it. Excuse me a minute. Oh, yeah, sure. Captain Kennelly. Hello, Denny. Oh, just fine. When? Well, uh, just a second. Let me look at my chart. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working Monday. Where? All right, I'll be there. Okay, so long. How'd you happen to get bitten, Mr. Wheel? Well, I wasn't there personally. I, I was working. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Me? I'm a driver for the Ace Taxis. I should be on the job now, but I thought I'd better take off the afternoon and get this straightened out. Yeah. How bad was the bite? Well, bad enough, I guess. He, he got her in the thigh, you know. He really dug in. Well, did she get medical treatment? Oh, yeah, yeah. My wife said the lady with the dog was very nice. Janet, that's my wife. She got kind of excited at first, but doctor fixed it up, said there's nothing serious. So I, I forgot the whole thing, you know, until I got a call from my wife this afternoon. Uh -huh. What happened then? Well, my wife was all excited and... She called my dispatcher, left word for me to call her. When I did, she said somebody had been around from the Board of Health. Told her they couldn't get hold of the lady with the dog, and if they didn't by tomorrow morning, she'd have to bring the kid down for rabies shots. There's 22 shots. It takes 22 days. Well, where does the woman with the dog live? In this precinct? 
I, I don't know whether it's in this precinct. It's uh, Mrs. Charles Winkney, 190 Sutton Place North. That's in this precinct, yes. So I took a walk over there before. It's a big apartment house, very expensive. I started to go in. The doorman asked me who I wanted, so I told him the whole story. Mm-hmm. He buzzed up to the apartment. There wasn't any answer. He told me a policeman had been around two or three times today and the day before. The policeman couldn't find anybody there either. Is he from here, that policeman? Yes, that's right. In uh, dog bite cases, there's a 480V notice to be served on the owner. Mm-hmm. A notice to deliver the dog to the ASPCA for observation. Well, anyway, I, I got to talking to the doorman, and he said he thought sure somebody was home because the elevator man heard the dog barking in the apartment when he when he went up there on the floor for something else this afternoon. Oh, is that so? Well, I'm, I'm only going by what the doorman said the elevator man said. Now, look, the lady was very nice, but I, I, I don't want my kid to go through any 22 shots. What's more important, a dog or a kid? What do you think, Mr. Wheel? Well, I know what I think. The important thing is what you think. That, uh... Mrs. Whitney, her husband is a big shot judge, the doorman told me. You sit here, Mr. Wheel. Well, I'll sit here, but is that going to get me action? That's what I want, action. That's what you're going to get. I'll be right back. Sergeant Burns. Yes, Captain? What are you doing about a 480V on a dog bite case? All right, is that this one on Sutton Place North, Captain? Yes, that's the one. What are you doing about it? It's still hanging, Captain. Lieutenant Snyder said he had a man go by there three times during the day tour. There's nobody home. Well, did they go upstairs and see? I don't know about that, Captain. He just said it was still hanging. They haven't been able to serve it. I gave it to Singleton and told him to try as soon as he got over there. You know who that is? That's Judge Charles Whitney. Yes, I know. Now, listen, the father of the child the dog bit is in my office. He's been told to bring the child down to start a series of 22 rabies injections beginning tomorrow morning... Unless that dog is delivered today. There doesn't seem to be anybody home, Captain. Well, the father says the doorman told him there was somebody home. Now get on it. Yes, sir. I went back into my office and told Mr. Weald, the father of the dog bite victim, that we would make a further effort to serve the 480V notice on the owner of the dog. I advised him to return to his home and promised that we would notify him later concerning any results we obtained. Patrolman Singleton rang in and reported that he again went to 190 Sutton Place North and attempted to reach the occupants of the Wintney apartment by the house phone. There was no answer. He left a copy of the notice with the doorman. He was instructed to go upstairs and knock on the door. In the meantime, I read and signed such reports as had accumulated since I was last on duty and placed them in the box to be sent by messenger to division headquarters. At ten minutes to five, I went back out into the muster room and walked over to the desk. He's trying to reach the judge at his office, Captain. Good. Uh, Sergeant Klein, did uh, Singleton ring in again? No, sir, not yet. Judge Charles Winley's office, please. I thought this might be the quickest way to get some information, Captain. Well, it might be, yes. Hello? This is Sergeant Burns at the 21st Precinct. Is Judge Winley there, please? Oh, is he? Oh, I see. Well, when? Well, thank you very much. Oh, uh, did Mrs. Winley go with him? Uh-huh. Yes, I see. Well, thank you very much. He's uh, out of town, Captain. Yeah? He went to Boston for the American Bar Association Convention. Secretary expects him back tonight. He's flying in. Well, did Mrs. Whitney go with him? No, sir, not that the secretary knows of. As far as the secretary knows, Mrs. Whitney's at home. I see. Look up the telephone number of their apartment and call over there. Yes, sir. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Klein. Their phone might not be listed, though. Yes, England. What'd you find out? Is that Singleton, Sergeant? Hold on. Uh, yes, sir, it's Singleton. All right, let me talk to him. Uh, take it right there, Captain. 
Hold on, Singleton. This is Captain Kennelly. Yes, sir. Did you serve that notice? Uh, no, sir. Well, did you go up to the floor? Yes, sir. What happened? Well, I knocked on the door, Captain. There wasn't any answer. Then I heard that dog bark inside. I knocked again. Finally, she came and talked to me through the door. Who came? Mrs. Whitney, Captain. Well, wouldn't she open the door? No, sir. I told her I had the notice to serve on her to deliver the dog for observation. She said she wouldn't give up the dog. She wouldn't open the door. Did you explain to her that the Department of Health just has to examine the dog, that they won't molest or mistreat the animal? Yes, sir, but she refused to open the door. Where are you calling from now? Uh, the lobby of the apartment building. All right. You stay there. I'll be right over. Yes, sir. Sergeant. Yes, sir? Put out a call for a car to come by the house for me. Yes, sir, Captain. She's there, huh, Captain? She's there, yes. So's the dog. She wouldn't open the door. Uh, CB, is this... Well, did she say why she wouldn't, Captain? No, that's what I'm going over to find out. What if she still refuses? Okay. You get a warrant to go in and get the dog. That won't look very nice. Cops break down judge's door. Some headline. Is this better? Four-year-old girl takes 22 anti-rabies injections. No headline. You are listening to 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way police work in the world's largest city. When you were playing... And now back to 21st Precinct and Captain Frank Kennelly. The disease of rabies is almost extinct. This is due almost entirely to the cooperation between police and public health authorities and the strict enforcement of the laws relating to dog bite cases. These laws call for the compulsory observation of dogs and other animals who are carriers of the disease after they have bitten and for compulsory treatment of human victims bitten by an animal that has escaped. The fact that the disease is now rare does not lessen the strictness of enforcement. The idea is to keep it rare. At 5.05 p.m., the car came by the station house and drove me to 190 Sutton Place North, a new apartment building in the high rent classification. As we drove up, I saw Patrolman Singleton on the sidewalk in front of the building. A man was standing there talking to him. All right, wait for me here. Hello, Captain. Singleton? Uh, Captain, this is Mr. Tedburn. He's the super of the building. Uh, the resident manager. Mr. Tedburn? Uh, how do you do? You've been waiting down here since you rang in, Singleton? Yes, sir. I really don't see what's all the excitement, Captain. Don't you? The Whitney's are respectable people. He's an important judge. To have policemen running through the halls over something like this, it's ridiculous. Mr. Tedburn, I've just been talking to the father of the girl who was bitten by that dog. If that dog isn't delivered for observation, that four-year-old girl will have to start a series of 22 injections. Is that ridiculous? Well, I just want to save embarrassment is all. There's no embarrassment on our account. If she'd accept service with the notice, everything would be very quiet and simple. What kind of dog is it, Singleton? Well, the doorman told me a boxer can't. Uh, that is right, a boxer. Ah, big fellow, hmm? Yes, sir. All right, let's go up. Yes, sir. Do you mind if I come along also? Ah, I'd be glad to have you, Mr. Tedburn. You can see that we don't embarrass anyone. The doorman held the door open for us, and we walked into the foyer of the building. It was decorated in black and white. On the elevator, Singleton directed the operator to take us to the 14th floor. When we got off, Mr. Tedburn led the way to apartment 14B. No one was in the hall. Either the neighbors on the floor didn't know what was going on, or they didn't care. Ah, uh, this is it. Shall I ring, Captain? Go ahead. Yes, sir. There it is. Try again. Yes, sir. Mrs. Whitney? 
We're police officers. We want to talk to you. Uh, it is a wonder the neighbors haven't complained about that dog. He certainly does raise the roof, doesn't he? Mrs. Whitney! You know, Captain, I'm beginning to more and more see this thing from your point of view. Are you? Under these circumstances, I think I have a right to use my passkey. Got on the door, Jim. Yes, Mrs. Whitney, please. Go away. Close the door. Please. I want to talk to you, Mrs. Whitney. You can't take him. I won't let you. Oh, I'm not going to take him. I want to talk to you, that's all. Yes, Where is she going? I don't know. Well, she's coming back. She wants to put the dog in the other room. I want you to shut the door and let me alone. You don't seem to understand the seriousness of this, Mrs. Whitney. You want to take Jeff away. I don't want to take him away. He's all we've got. Jeff's all we've got. We have no family. Just Jeff, that's all. Well, I'm not going to take him away. I just have to give you this notice. Singleton. Oh, yes, sir. Here it is. I want you to take this, Mrs. Whitney. No, no, I won't. It's a notice to deliver your dog to the ASPCA by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Well, I'll take it, but I won't deliver him. I won't. You can't have him. He's the only thing I've got left. The only thing. All right. Let's shut the door. Thank you, Mrs. Whitney. I won't. Do you think she will bring that dog down there? I don't. She's been served with a notice. Okay, Singleton, get back on the job. Yes, sir. People can live in a building 20 years, and you never know they ever existed. 20 years. Hit that elevator bell, will you, Singleton? Yes, sir. Then a little thing like this can cause so much trouble. It's always the little things that cause trouble, Mr. Tedburn. People seem to manage the big ones. We rode down in the elevator. I thanked Mr. Tedburn for his assistance and came out of the building with Singleton. He resumed walking his post and I got into the car and went back to the precinct house. There, as the officer who served the 480B form on Mrs. Whitney, I filled in the lower half and delivered it to the desk officer to be forwarded to the Bureau of Preventable Diseases, Department of Health. Sergeant Burns told me that Patrolman Mercado had come upon a boy, 17, in the act of turning in a false alarm. He chased him up the stairs of a tenement and over the roofs of three adjacent buildings before he was apprehended. The boy admitted turning in at least five false alarms during the last month. I went on patrol of the precinct, during which I stopped on post number two, saw Patrolman Mercado, and congratulated him on the arrest. Later, while I was still on patrol, there was a radio signal to call in. We stopped at the nearest box, and I was told by Sergeant Klein that a visitor was waiting for me. Judge Charles Whitney. I had my operator drive me around to the precinct house. When I got out of the car, I instructed him to pick up his partner who had been taking his meal period and resume patrol. As the car drove away, I crossed the sidewalk and walked up into the muster room. Hello, Sergeant. Captain. 21st precinct, uh, Where's the judge? I suggested the judge wait right. in your office, Captain. Take him here. Good. All right. Oh, uh, what's doing, Sergeant? Oh, it's been a quiet tour, Captain. All right, I'll be in my office. Yes, sir. 21st precinct, Sergeant Klein. Okay, the what? Judge Whitney? Oh. Hello, Captain. Uh, we've met before, haven't we? Yes, I think so. At some dinner. Oh, yeah. Well, sit down, Judge. Thank you. I just got into LaGuardia from Boston an hour ago. Yes, sir, I know. I understand you were over to the apartment, Captain. Yes, that's right. We were there. I'm sorry if we found it necessary to be a little insistent with Mrs. Whitney, but I don't have to tell you the law in these dog bite cases, Judge. 
If I wasn't able to effect service the way I did, I would have been required to get a warrant and break the door down. I hope you were able to explain that to Mrs. Whitney. Captain, I haven't been able to explain anything to Mrs. Whitney. She wouldn't open the door for me either. Wouldn't she? No. I came home from the airport and went upstairs and tried my key. She had the chain on the door. Wouldn't open it. Wouldn't even talk to me. The building manager came upstairs and told me what had happened. Well, I'm sorry, Judge. Well, it's not your fault, Captain. I don't blame you. I should have seen it coming. Perhaps I even knew it was coming, and I couldn't bring myself to believe it. What's that, sir? A breakdown. I should have seen it the night I left for Boston. That was the same night that Jeff bit the child. Oh? Hey, he's a boxer, you know, so we named him James J. Jeffries, Jeff for short. Mm-hmm. I told her before I left that she would probably be called upon to deliver the dog for observation. And I should have seen from my attitude then that this was going to happen. Why? Well, was in a hurry to catch the plane. She was all right until then. I understand she was fine when the dog bit the child, that she took the mother and the child to the emergency room, paid the bill, so forth. Yes, that's the report we got, too. But the minute I mentioned the possibility she might have to turn Jeff over for observation, she... she, she changed. Well, what was the reason for the change, you know, Judge? Yes, I do. I think I do. See, Captain, we had two sons... Richard and Charles, Jr., they were a year and a half apart, 19 and 20. They were in school at Yale. Last June, they were driving down to New York after school. Their car turned over on the Merritt Parkway. They were both killed. Both of them. I'm sorry to hear that, Judge. If you have children of your own, you can imagine what it did to us. We went away, but that didn't help. Nothing helped. For myself, I found escaping my work. A judge can work hard, you know, and I did, but Nora didn't have anything like work, I suppose she... She turned to the dog, as Jeff was the boy's dog. When she saw the possibility that she'd lose the dog, that brought it on. I'm sure that that's the answer. Well, it probably is, yes, sir. She wouldn't even open the door. She doesn't even trust me. If I'd have known what the circumstances were, perhaps we could have used some other means. There wasn't any way for you to know, Captain. I... I'm not worried about that now. She's locked up in there alone. That's what I'm worried about. I don't know what's... Praying on her mind. Well, if you want to go into the apartment, Judge, I can call the emergency squad to give us a hand. They have a way with doors. Yes, yeah, you know. but that's only as a last resort. No, I, I'd like to try persuasion some more. I had the door open this wide, the same as you did. I, I called her. She wouldn't answer. I couldn't think of anything else to say or do. I came over here. Well, do you have any ideas, Captain, besides the emergency squad? I mean, well, perhaps I have one, just one. It might work. I don't know. Anything, Captain. I'm willing to try anything. Judge Whitney was a forlorn-looking man as I left him sitting in my office and walked out into the muster room. I gave Sergeant Klein instructions to have a car drive around to the precinct house to pick us up. Also, I told him to have sector car number one go to the home of Harold Weald, the father of the dog bite victim. They were instructed to locate Mr. Weald and ask if he would accompany them to 190 Sutton Place North. The car came by to drive Judge Whitney and myself to his apartment house. We rode the elevator to the 14th floor in silence. Is this way, Captain? Yes, I know. Oh, of course you Well, I'd uh, suggest you try your key again, Judge. Yeah, that's a good idea. Still on the chain. Nora! Nora, 
Why don't you try calling the dog? If he comes to the door, maybe she will too. Yes, that's a good idea. Jeff, yeah, boy. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Come on, Jeff. Usually comes when I call him, Captain. Well, I think she has him in the back with the door closed. That's where she had him before. Nora, please, please come to the door, Nora, please. Nora. Well, let me try. Mrs. Whitney. Mrs. Whitney. Now that way to your right. One of your men, Captain. Oh, yeah. Took a little while to locate him, Captain. Hello, Captain. Judge Whitney, Mr. Wheel. Hi. How do you do? Judge, Patrolman Singleton. How do you do? Please don't know He told me about all the trouble you've been having, Judge. I don't like to cause any trouble, but after all, my little girl... I think it's the other way around as far as trouble being caused is concerned, Mr. Wheel. Now, don't worry about that. Well, I think you better call the emergency squad, Captain. This isn't going to do any good. Try again, Judge. Once more. All right. Nora. Nora, please come to the door, Nora. Nora. I think she's coming. Close the door, Charles. Let me in, Nora. You've got to. Close the door and go away, Sweetheart, sweetheart, now, please. I'm not going to let you in. You're part of the law, too. You're on their side. Mrs. Whitney. Close the door, please. This is Mr. Weald. He's the father of the little girl. Oh. How is she? She's all right, I think, ma'am. I'm sorry. I'm terribly sorry. Jeff never bitten anyone before. I think it was an accident. I think he was just trying to get that red ball she was playing with. Just the red ball. He's a very good dog, really. Yes, ma'am. Are you sure she's all right? We hope she'll be all right. She has to take 22 injections. 22 injections? Why? Because we can't get Jeff to see that he doesn't have rabies. Oh, Jeff doesn't have rabies. You know he doesn't. We have to make sure, ma'am. That's the law. I don't want to hear about the law. That's all I ever hear about. You don't want that little four-year-old girl to go through 22 injections, do you, Mrs. Whitney? Oh, no. That'd be a shame. Well, it's up to you. It's not up to me. Jeff doesn't have rabies. Anybody can see that. Anybody. When were you told to bring your little girl to the Department of Health, Mr. Wheel? Tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock. All 22 at once? No, ma'am. It takes 22 days. Oh, no. Poor little girl. Now, nothing will happen to Jeff, Mrs. Whitney. Believe me, they'll take good care of him. You'll have him back. They'll keep him. They'll take him away from me, just like everything else. 22 injections. That's right. And she's such a little girl. How old is she? Four. Yes, four. That's right. She was crying and her leg hurt her. But those little curls with a ribbon. I remember those little curls with a ribbon. I never had a little girl. I always wanted one. Not 22 injections. Yes, ma'am. 22. Please close the door. Mrs. Whitney. Please close the door. I can't get the chain off if you don't close the door. Yes, ma'am. What's she waiting for? All right. Take it easy. Sweetheart, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. There's a lot to be sorry about, isn't there? So much. Thank you, Mrs. Whitney. Nothing to thank me for. Jeff's in there in the bedroom. I'll see that he gets where he has to go, Captain. Good. Young man? Me? Yes. 
Yes, ma'am, Mrs. Whitney. Watcher. Watcher every minute. Every minute of your life. Yes, ma'am. Because without her, you won't have any life. Twenty-first precinct, Sergeant Klein. He jumped, or he's going to jump. Where is he? On a ledge? Where is he? East seventy-one. And so it goes around the clock, through the week, every what? day, every year. A police precinct in the city of New York is a flesh and blood merry-go-round. Anyone can catch the brass ring, or. The brass ring can catch anyone. 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way the police work in the world's largest city, is presented with the official cooperation of the Patrolmen's Benevolent Association, an organization of more than 20,000 members of the Police Department City of New York. Everett Sloan in the role of Captain Kennelly. Featured in tonight's cast were Lawson Zerbe, Wendell Holmes, Bill Zucker, Don McLaughlin, Barbara Weeks, Bill Lipton, and Donald Vane. Written and directed by Stanley Niss, Gaylord Avery speaking. Y'all, I tell you what, we've got to share this with you. This is called Case of the Ditch. But when I first saw it yesterday, and then when Victor started looking and he first saw it, we both thought it said Case of the Bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, you just didn't talk that way back then on TV and radio. So, uh... We were really surprised, yeah. This, uh, (laughs) yeah, I, I had to do a double take. Uh, but it's amazing how how much the censors have let things go since then, hey? Oh gosh, yeah, you can almost get by with anything. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this one, it's about a man. Well, d- doesn't it have to be after a certain time slot? I don't know. I've heard on them soap operas, some of them get kind of nasty. Right. In other words, when kids aren't home watching TV, which is during the day and uh, at night. Yeah. Huh. Uh, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know about during. They shouldn't during cartoon time, but you you never know what kids watch these days either. True. Because uh, the parents don't seem to pay attention to it like they used yeah. to, but. Uh, anyway, th- this is about a man who is, uh, beaten and thrown in a ditch and is forevermore dead. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Waters. Where? How do you know he was killed? Now, where is this? Between 3rd and Lexington or 2nd and 3rd? 
Well, who found him? Oh. Looks like he what? You are in the muster room at the 21st Precinct, the nerve center. A call is coming through. You will follow the action taken pursuant to that call from this minute until the final report is written in the 124 room at the 21st Precinct. Now, look. The officers will be there right away. Well, keep everybody from there if you can. That's right. Keep them back. The officers will be right there. You just stay around until they come. 21st Precinct. It's just lines on a map of the city of New York. Most of the 173,000 people wedged into the nine-tenths of a square mile between Fifth Avenue and the East River wouldn't know if you asked them that they lived or worked in the 21st. Whether they know it or not, the security of their homes, their persons, and their property is the job of the men of the 21st Precinct. The 21st, 160 patrolmen, 11 sergeants, and four lieutenants of whom I'm the boss. My name is Kennelly. Frank Kennelly. I'm captain in command of the 21st. It was ten minutes after 8 a.m. I signed the blotter after I turned out the platoon and left the station house at the end of my night tour after having been on duty since four o'clock the previous afternoon. The morning was dark and chilly and it appeared that we were in for some snow. I walked to the corner and up Lexington a half a block to the barber shop. You're next, Captain. No waiting this morning. How are you, Joe? Oh, no complaints. I take your coat. Oh, thanks. Uh, and the hat. Yep. Uh, in the chair, Captain. You caught the fight last night, Captain? No. And I was working. Boy, some fight. It was some fight. Yeah? I don't know how the guy stood on his feet as long as he did. I don't know. Well, what'll it be this morning? The works? No, just a haircut, Joe. Just a haircut, yeah. So how's the police business? Quiet. <laughs> Knock on wood, huh? <laughs> Knock on wood. I-, I guess that is the only business in the world when you're in it, you like it to be quiet. All right. You want a little more off on the top this time, Captain? Or about the same. Oh, about the same. About the same. Mm. Um, you come into work or going? Oh, I just signed out. Oh. I never could get straight how you worked. The days, nights, what? Oh, I've been on the job since 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon. I was off at 8, and I'm not due back until 8 tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. But then what? Until 6 tomorrow night. Boy, some hours. Especially that 4 in the afternoon to 8 in the morning deal. Like like the fighter last night. How could you stand on your feet? <laughs> it's not so bad, Joe. If things quiet down about 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, I get a little sleep on the couch in my office. It's not like being home in the bed, believe me. I believe you, Joe. Oh, they must be police department paydays. Two customers, two policemen. Hello, Captain. Uh, have a chair. You next. Coley? Lieutenant Gorman told me you thought you said you were coming here. What's doing? Said tell you we've got a homicide, Captain. Where? 78th Street near 3rd Avenue. Homicide, what's that, murder? Unidentified male, about 35 years old. Shot? They don't know yet, Captain. BPM has the street cut open for a new sewer connection there. Men came to work this morning, found the body at the bottom of the hole. Looks like a ride job. Some people... Hey, Joe, take this thing off, will you? How can you go out unfinished? I'll be back. It would be a good idea, believe me. 
Are you in a car or on foot, Coley? Sector car two, Captain. Oh. I was instructed if you were here and wanted to take a ride over there to drop my partner on post and drive you. I want to go, yes. I helped you with a coat, Captain. Thanks, Joe. What time did the call come in, Coley? Oh, about 14 minutes after eight, Captain. Uh, don't forget to come back, Captain. I'll be here. Okay, because walking around like that, you're no recommendation for my work. I drove to the scene in sector car number two with patrolman Coley. It had started to snow, and the flakes were coming down thick and wet as we pulled into the block. On the job were sector car number one, the sergeant's car, and the detective squad car. There were two trucks from the office of the borough president, Manhattan, parked near the street cut. And a dozen laborers who came to continue work on the sewer connection to a building under construction were standing around trying to keep warm. Sergeant Waters had pressed them into service to aid in keeping civilians back on the sidewalk and, incidentally, to keep the laborers out of the way. Coley pulled the car up as close as he could manage. All right, park it down the block, Coley. Yes, sir. No sense in tying this up any worse. Excuse me there, will you? Police officer coming through here. Hmm? Sergeant Waters? Oh, Captain. Now, what's it look like? Well, there he is, down the hole. All right, mister, I told you to stay behind the barricade. Now, stay behind there. Who found him? The laborers came to work on his sewer connection at eight. One of them spotted the body in that form and rang in. Uh-huh. Now, look, mister, I'm not going to tell you again. Well, the detectives got on the job fast enough, didn't they? Yes, sir. I'll go talk to Lieutenant King. Look, you're no better than anybody else. Stay behind that barricade. Hello, Matt. Come on, Captain. What do we got, man? Looks like homicide, all right, Captain. Who is he? No idea yet. We're waiting for the medical examiner and the photographer. Should be here any minute. Is that how we found him? Yes, sir. Right down there at the bottom of the trench. This is a pretty busy street. Surprising somebody didn't notice him before 8 o'clock. Where was the man on post? Oh, I thought that too at first, Captain. But that slip's only two feet wide and about four feet deep. From the side, somebody'd have to get almost to the edge of the trench to see the body. Nobody passed close to this edge because of that dirt piled on both sides. Mm-hmm. No one could see into the hole from that end because of the wooden barricade there along the sidewalk. That motor compressor blocks the view at the other end. No idea how long the body's been in there. No, sir. The crew quit working at 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon. Any time between dark last night and dawn this morning. I got the names and addresses of all the BPM crew, Lieutenant. Good. Oh, hello, Captain. Vitaly? The foreman wants to know how long it'll be before they can get on the job here. You better tell him it'll be an hour at least. We're waiting for the medical examiner, the homicide squad, and the photographer. Yes, sir. I'll tell him. What makes you so sure it's homicide, Matt? He could have been drunk, fallen in there. You haven't had a close look at him, Captain. You got a working over. He couldn't have gotten banged up that way, falling into the ditch. He was thrown in there, probably dragged out of a car and dumped. Any sign of a gunshot wound? He might have been shot. We can't tell from the position the body's in. We'll know more about that when we can move him. Wasn't any sign of anything in these piles of dirt, was there? If the body was dumped, whoever did it had to walk across these piles of dirt. There might have been, Captain, but there isn't now. When the first officer got on the scene, those 12 laborers were all over the place. Well, looks like this might turn into a pretty heavy snowstorm. Yeah, it does. All I need, a homicide case, then go home and shovel the snow. Captain Ginelli. Yes, Sergeant? I just rang in. Lieutenant Corman told me there's a report of a safe burglary. In this precinct? Yes, sir. The Fernhill Radio and Appliance Company, 734 East 82nd Street. Hey, yep. They tried to get the safe downstairs, apparently. It was found at the bottom of the steps, unopened. Did the desk officer ring the squad? Yes, sir. Gave it to Novak. 
Novak notified the safe and loft squad, and then went himself. He and Whitey Howard. All right, thanks, Bill. Yes, sir. Well, you don't have to worry about shoveling any snow, Matt. You won't get home until it thaws. You are listening to 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way police work in the world's largest city. Now back to 21st Precinct and Captain Frank Kennelly. Within another few minutes, detectives from the Manhattan East Homicide Squad and a deputy medical examiner had arrived at the scene. While the Homicide Squad photographer made the required pictures, Lieutenant King, as the ranking officer of the detective division present, dictated to the Homicide Squad stenographer a detailed description of the position and appearance of the body and of the surrounding conditions. No identification of any kind was found in the pockets of the victim. The medical examiner reported to Lieutenant King that preliminary observation revealed no gunshot wounds. Death appeared to have been caused by a fractured skull. Finally, Patrolman Adam Austin, the first member of the force at the scene, placed a UF-95 tag on the body, and it was removed to the Bellevue Morgue for identification and autopsy. And the investigation began. I then went to the scene of the safe burglary at 734 East 82nd Street. Detectives of both the safe and loft squad and the 21st squad were on the job. The uniformed officers had already resumed patrol. I returned to the barbershop. Joe completed my haircut, and I walked around the corner to the station house where Lieutenant Gorman was desk officer, and Sergeant Waters was now on telephone switchboard duty. Hello, Captain. Sergeant? Mrs. Kennelly called. Oh, I forgot the phone, and I got tied up. I explained it, Captain. I told her we had a homicide in the safe park. Oh, thanks, Bill. She said call her when you get a chance. I will as soon as I sign the blocker. Yes, sir. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Waters. How many dogs? Well, there's no law against people having dogs, lady. I know. Well, well, but lady, lady, you'll have to take that up with your landlord. If he promised he wouldn't rent to anybody with dogs, that's between you and him. Well, madam, there's nothing we can do about it. All right. You're welcome. Who was that, Bill? She's allergic to dogs. Family's moving into a building with two of them. Oh. Hello, Captain. Man, I want to see you. I'd like to see you too, Captain. Well, how's it going? Nothing much yet. Come on into my office. Well, for a minute, Captain Fleischer's upstairs talking to those two men from the borough president's office. Oh, go ahead. Thanks. And the captain of the homicide squad is on his way up with the chief of detectives. Any identification on him yet? No, I just spoke to Vitaly. They rolled some prints off the man as soon as they got him to the Bellevue morgue. He just brought them into BCI and is trying to get a make on him now. The man wasn't shot or stabbed, was he? No, sir. The medical examiner says death was apparently caused by a fractured skull. He's got other marks and bruises all over him. One thing's sure, the fall into the ditch couldn't have done it. He was dead before he got anywhere near the ditch. Uh, what I wanted to find out is, you were up at the safe burglary, right, Captain? Yeah, man. Well, uh... I've been running around in circles on this other deal. I haven't had a chance to speak to Novak and Howard about that. They were up there. And two men from the safe and loft squad. I've got the district captain upstairs now, and the chief of detectives, and probably the borough chief run away. They'll have to start throwing questions at me on the safe job. I haven't even been over there. Well, they didn't get anything out of there, Matt. It was a bust. Yes, sir, I know. It was this radio and appliance store. They gained entry through a side door, the freight entrance. Jimmy the night latch. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they went straight upstairs to the office on the balcony and tried to rip the safe. Didn't get very far with it. Might have thought they needed more tools or more time. Decided to carry it out. Apparently, it got away from them coming down the stairs. Yes. Must have made a lot of noise, and they left in a hurry. They left all their tools on the job. 
Mm, probably stolen. Probably. Come in. Excuse me a second, Captain. Yes, Sergeant. There's a woman out there talking to Lieutenant Gorman. Yes? Her husband didn't show up at home last night. And? Captain. Sounds to me like she's talking about the man that was found in the ditch. Did you say anything to her? No, sir. Ask her to come in here. Yes, sir. Mrs. Balney. Yes? Do you step in here a minute, please? You don't mind, Captain. No? Oh, that's all right. Do they know something? Come in, Mrs. Balney. Yes. Yes, I'm much obliged. All right, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Sit down, please. Do you have Bill here? Arrested, I mean. No, we don't. Oh. I thought you did. How do you spell your name? Um, Balney. B-O-L-N-E-Y. Your husband's first name is Phil? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. What's your first name? Louise. Where do you live, Mrs. Balney? At 3422 Lewis Avenue in the Bronx. I was led to believe that, that you did have Phil here. I thought he was arrested. Well, what made you think that? Well, he, he said he had some business last night. He, he left right after supper, and he said he'd be home at 1 o'clock, no later. Well, about 11 o'clock, I turned off the radio and went to bed. Slept all night. When I woke up this morning, he, he wasn't in the bed. I, I don't know. I couldn't imagine what happened. Does he ever stay out all night? Well, late sometimes, but never all night. He, he always comes home no matter what time in the morning, always. He don't drink much, so I'm never worried about that. A few beers, maybe. I still don't understand what made you think he was arrested. A detective called. And spoke to you? And no, but not to me, to the, the, the super of the building. We don't have a telephone. Did the detective leave his name? He just told the super if I'd come to the 21st precinct, they'd know all about Phil. And did the super say the man told him he was a police officer? Well, I don't know, but, but what else could he be? He said... Come to the 21st Precinct. Mrs. Balney, how old is your husband? 34. 34 in March. You know his height? How tall he is? Well, not so tall. Maybe four or five inches taller than me. About 5'9". About 5'9", yes. Listen, don't you know anything? I mean, who'd call and say such a thing? And Phil not coming home. Has your husband ever been arrested? Well, he's, he's been in a little trouble, yeah. What kind of trouble? He was away. Where? Sing Sing. But he's been all right. He's, he's had no trouble since he's been back. No, no trouble at all. He was getting along fine. He's, he's got a job. He's working every day. And, and the parole officer says he, he, he was doing very well. You said he was in the habit of staying out late at night. He's not supposed to do that if he's on parole. Not often. You know who he was out with last night, Mrs. Bolney? Some, some friends? Uh, I don't know. On, on business? Excuse me. Where could he be? I don't know. 21st Precinct, Captain Kennelly. Sergeant Waters on TS, Captain. Detective Vitale is ringing in for Lieutenant King. Says it's important. All right. Matt. Yes, sir. For you, Vitale. Okay, thanks, sir. Lieutenant King. Oh, hey, Lieutenant. Vitale, Lieutenant. Where are you? Down at BCI. We got a make on the Prince of the Dead Man. Yeah? Yeah, he's a good boy. He did a bit for Grand Larceny and some time before that as a juvenile. What's the name? Um, Balney. Philip Robert... Balney, B-O-L-N-E-Y. Uh-huh. Uh, the cards down here don't have a reasoned address on him, but he must have been reporting to the Board of Parole. I can check and see what address they've got. No, that won't be necessary, Vitaly. Yes, sir. See if can get a mugshot from BCI and come on in here. All right, Lieutenant. Yes, sir. They got a make, Captain. Did they? Yes. Where did your husband work, Mrs. Balney? On the docks, on the west side, a longshoreman. 
Have any idea who he might have gone out with last night? Well, no, not exactly. He has lots of friends. Which friend in particular do you think he might have been with last night? Well, he did say something. What? About Red, about not having to go someplace with Red. You, you know, on business. Red who? I don't know his last name. He talks about this Red all the time. It's just somebody that works with him. You know, Doc Wallopin. Would you know this Red if you saw him? No. I never met him. I only heard Phil talk about him. Listen, if you don't have him arrested here, Phil, I mean, where is he? Where could he be? Do you, do you think maybe he went right to work this morning? No, Mrs. Polney, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure we know where he is. Well, this is a fine time to tell me. Why didn't you tell me before? But, Captain, why didn't he tell me? We uh, just found out about it. Well, where is he? Down at Bellevue, we think. What's he doing down there? Was he sick? Was he in... He's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm sorry. After a few minutes, Lieutenant King took Mrs. Balney up upstairs to the 21st Detective Squad. There she was questioned by Assistant District Attorney Lawrence Shapir and in the presence of Lieutenant King and the top command of the Detective Division, the Chief of Detectives of the Borough Chief, the Homicide Captain, and the District Captain. She was able to give no information other than the fact that she thought her husband might have been in the company of a friend named Red. Nor could she suggest a reason this Red or anyone else would want to murder him. At 11.30 a.m., Mrs. Balney was driven to the Bellevue morgue to identify the body of her husband. I remained in my office and cleaned up some paperwork that had hung over. A little after 12, the top command of the detective division signed the blotter and left the precinct. I walked out of my office and into the lieutenant's locker room where a pot of coffee was on the fire. Captain? Oh, come in, man. Well, I guess there won't be much snow to shovel whether I'm home or not. Stopped. Yeah. How about a cup of coffee? Yes, sir. Thanks. Grab a cup. Smells good. Sugar's in the drawer. No, thanks. Well, how are you doing? Oh, all right, I guess. She identified the body as her husband. Red is a fellow named John Gilliam. He didn't show up for a job on the docks this morning. Oh, that's a good sign. For us, yes, sir. Not for him. I've got six men out looking for him. Oh, and your bosses seem to think it's in pretty good shape, man. And I saw them control out of here. Well, they can't sit around and twiddle at their thumbs, Captain. But I don't have much to go on yet. What kind of fellow is this Red? Well, he's been in a couple of jams. Never any convictions, but he's been questioned in connection with some burglary deals. Oh, uh, incidentally, anything on the safe, John? No, not much, Captain. Listen, Matt, did you speak to the medical examiner again on this Phil Bolney? Yes, sir, what? All these fractures and bruises he had, were they all internal injuries? No open cuts? No, sir. You know something? What? Balney did time for grand larceny. The information you got is that this red was picked up a couple of times for investigation of burglary. Yes, sir. Are you willing to listen to a wild guess? Hmm. I'll listen to anything, Captain. It washes out a homicide case for you. That's the last thing I need, Captain, a homicide case. I'm listening. After I finished my conversation with Lieutenant King, at 1.30 I signed the blotter and left the station house. 
All that day and that night, detectives of the 21st Squad and the Homicide Squad beat the brush for John Gilliam, also known as Red Gilliam. They were waiting at the pier where he usually worked at the afternoon shape-up. He did not appear. They traced out his home address, a furnished room in the West 20s. He hadn't been seen. The place was planted. Detectives spoke to all the acquaintances of Red Gilliam and Philip Balney they could locate. None had any information regarding the whereabouts of the fugitive. The plants at Red's rooming house and at the address of a girlfriend were maintained throughout the night. At 8.20 a.m. the next morning, there was a phone call for Detective Vitale from one of the acquaintances of Red Gilliam he had spoken to the previous afternoon. The caller, another longshoreman, told Vitale that he had seen Red Gilliam at a Greenwich Village bar during the night. Red told the informant he was broke and needed a loan. He had promised a small loan if Red would come to the pier where he worked just before the whistle blew for the afternoon shape-up. Vitaly gave this information to Lieutenant King. Along with five other detectives, all dressed in work clothes, he was instructed to cover this pier in the event that Red Gilliam showed up. This looks like a bust, Wade. Yep. He'll blow the whistle for the shape-up in a minute. If Red hasn't shown up by now, he won't. Where's his friend? I don't see him now. No, I got him. There. Against the fender of that truck, the pickup. Oh, yeah. Oh, there comes the hiring boss. When they shape up, let's move in with him. Okay. Come on. Yeah. Now, Whitey. Yeah? There he is, I think. Where? Jackie jacket, no hat. Headed for the truck. Yeah, it's him. All right, let's grab him. Watch yourself. He might be healed. Don't worry. Fred? Yeah? Wait a minute. We want to talk to you. Well, let's tell us I'm in a rush. We're police officers, Red. Oh. Turn around, lean up against that truck. Hey, Go on. Yeah. All right, hold still. I'm clean. I'm not carrying anything. That's what we want to make sure of. Listen, what's the beef? What do you want me for? Don't you know, Red? How should I know what you guys want? You always want to know something. Yeah, Red. We always want to know something. So come on. Let's go. I had been on duty since 8 a.m. At 1.20, I was upstairs in the detective squad office conferring with Lieutenant King about a renewal application for a pistol license. Yes? Come in, V. All right, Red. Inside. Sit down over there, Red. Yeah? That's good. Sit right there. Shut the door, will you, V? Yeah, sure, Lieutenant. He says he doesn't know a thing, Lieutenant. This is where you come to learn, eh, Red? Well, what's it all about? That you got to tell me. We'll start off with introductions. This is Captain Kennelly. I'm Lieutenant King. So? You don't want to waste any time, Red. We want some straight answers. About what? You were out with Phil Balney the night before last, right? Who said that? William? No. Why, William? I spent practically the entire evening with a girl. Till about 3.30, 4 o'clock this morning. Well, if that's so, it'll clear up a lot of things, Red. What girl is that? Her name is Isabel. Isabel Gamer. Where did she live? Down on 17th Street, near night. Well, you know that's a lie, Red. No, it's not. Detective Vitale spoke to Isabel yesterday. She says she didn't see you since Sunday. Isn't that right, V? That's right, Lieutenant. So it's right. Look, Red, we got a lot of things on our mind around here. We don't want to waste any time. What do you think I'm doing? You think this is accomplishing something for me? Phil was found dead on the street. Our information is that you were with him that night. Now, what about the truth? If I told you the truth, you wouldn't believe it. Wouldn't we? I guarantee you wouldn't. Better try us, Red, because you're looking a murder beef right in the face. If the truth is going to help you, you better let us have it. You wouldn't believe it. Maybe we already know the truth, Red. Maybe we just want to hear it from you. Well, you won't believe it. I guarantee it. But if you want it, all right. What? 
Well, you see, Phil and I were together, yeah. We've been doing a few things together. I had this store spotted uh, over in the East 80s, I don't know. The safe looked like an easy touch. Well, we went in there together and tried to rip the face off. It wouldn't come. So we decided to go down the stairs with it and load it in the car. It was small enough. Well, we started down. Phil was below and I was up above. The thing slipped, or he slipped or something. Anyway, he went rolling down the stairs with it. I thought he was just knocked out. Yes. Well, that's all. I figured get him out, get him out fast. So I loaded him in the car. And when I got a few blocks away, I saw he was dead. Well, what was I going to do with him? Well, I passed by this place where they had the street dug up. That looked good enough for me, so I dumped him in there, and that was that. Was it? Well, there you see, you wanted the truth. That's it. Where does he get me? Did you call his wife? Yeah, the next morning. I figured she got to know. You got to find out at least. Well, don't look at me like I was an idiot. That's what happened. That's exactly what happened. It's the truth. It's the honest to goodness truth. If I had a stack of Bibles, it wouldn't be any more the truth. I didn't kill him. I didn't lay a finger on him. We know it, Red. We believe you. Do you? Why shouldn't we? The captain had it figured the same afternoon. <laughs> the whole thing sounds so screwy, so nuts. To get caught in a set of circumstances. Red, you're caught in a little bit more than a set of circumstances. You're caught in a safe burglary. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Waters. What'd you say about a gun? Oh. To get a license to carry one. And so it goes. Around the clock, through the week, every day, every year. A police precinct in the city of New York is a flesh and blood merry-go-round. Anyone can catch the brass ring. Or... The brass ring can catch anyone. 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way the police work in the world's largest city, is presented with the official cooperation of the Patrolman's Benevolent Association, an organization of more than 20,000 members of the Police Department, City of New York. Everett Sloan in the role of Captain Kennelly, Ken Lynch as Lieutenant King, Harold Stone as Sergeant Waters. Written and directed by Stanley Niss. Produced for CBS Radio by John Ives. Artana speaking. 21st Precinct has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. another one 
y'all that uh, Victor and I kind of got stumped by. He he said what? He said what is this? And I told him it's case of the LD80. But yesterday when I saw it in my file list, I thought it was case of the old lady, and they had just left out the old. <laughs> So that's what I put down, and then I realized as I as I listened to it that no, that's not what it was. So I had to uh, I had to look at it better, and it's case of the LD eighty, and it's about this uh, policeman. He's got one more year on the job, and he's going to retire, and uh, his pistol license is uh, it's just about to close out, and he's wanting to renew it. So, uh, without any further ado, I'll just let you Well, there is a further ado. In our defense, we do have hearing problems. <laughs> you and I, we both hear where hearing is. Uh, yeah, but, but what, what, uh, um, but what's that got to do with this? Well, us not hearing things right. Oh, well, yeah, it happens. <laughs> Sometimes we don't hear each other right. Well, let's bring them LD80 now. And anyway, hope y'all enjoy it. I, I did. Kind of made me a little bit sad, but... 21st Precinct, Sergeant Waters. What'd you say about a gun? Oh, to get a license to carry one. Well, you have to apply here at the station house. That's right. Come in here any time between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. and see the hack inspector. You are in the muster room at the 21st Precinct, the nerve center. A call is coming through. You will follow by transcription the action taken pursuant to that call from this minute until the final report is written in the 124 room at the 21st Precinct. Yes, sir, you make your application here at the precinct house and it's investigated. Yes, sir, the hack inspector. He's a police officer here assigned to take applications for licenses. Yeah, welcome. 21st Precinct. It's just lines on a map of the city of New York. Most of the 173,000 people wedged into the nine-tenths of a square mile between Fifth Avenue and the East River wouldn't know if you asked them that they lived or worked in the 21st. Whether they know it or not, the security of their jobs, their homes, and their property is the job of the men of the 21st Precinct. The 21st, 160 patrolmen, 11 sergeants, and four lieutenants of whom I'm the boss. My name is Kennelly, Frank Kennelly. I'm captain in command of the 21st. I was working my day tour, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. I returned from patrol of the precinct at 2.50 p.m. and went to my office to read and sign reports. Among them, I saw a note from patrolman Nathan Jaffe, the precinct hack inspector who handles in the 21st applications for licenses of business and other activities which by law are subject to police supervision. These include cabs and cab drivers, gunsmiths, towing cars, catering establishments, and so forth. Patrolman Jaffe wanted to see me. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Waters. Sergeant, would you ring into the hack inspector's office for me, please? Nobody's up there, Captain. Jaffe went out on a job. Oh, all right, Sergeant, thanks. Oh, Captain. Yes? You know who's out here? Lieutenant Klein. Which Lieutenant Klein? Our Sergeant Klein. Now, Lieutenant Klein. Oh, tell him I want to say hello. I'll be right out. Yes, sir. 
Hello, Klein. Captain. Where is this lady? Ah, you don't look any the worse for being a lieutenant. I don't feel any worse for it. Did uh, this get to be a second home, Klein? Did you miss us? Yes, sir. I miss you. He didn't miss us at all, Captain. He had a pair of shoes over at the shoemakers around the corner being fixed. He came downtown to pick them up. Where are you? 10th Division office? Yes, sir. That's right. What's the job? Supervising plain clothes work? Yes, sir. Oh, uh, Sergeant, is the shoeshine boy on the job back there? I think so, sir, Captain. Uh, huh? Yes, sir. Come on, Lieutenant. I'll buy you a shine. I'll take it. Be in the back room, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Well, how do you like the job? Uh, it's all right, I guess, Captain. What do you mean, all right? Well, it's near home, and I've got a good boss. Inspector Roy F. Holman, uh, do you know him? Yeah, I've met him. You're the visitor. Go ahead. Hey, Sergeant Klein, how are you? How you been? Lieutenant Klein, Elmo. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. Lieutenant Klein. Oh, what's your step, Lieutenant Klein? A shine on Elmo for the promotion. Shine is on me, Elmo. All right, then you can. What's the matter with the job, Klein? Oh, I don't know. This gambling law enforcement is not for me. No? Oh, you know, Captain, it's personal feeling. I uh, can't get excited about slapping somebody in jail for betting on a horse. It's the same as any other law. I know. It's my job to enforce it, but I just can't get excited about it, Captain. That's all. All the effort we put in on it and so many men, people are going to bet they're going to gamble, no matter how many men we put on it. And it's all out of proportion. It'd be burglaries and assaults and car thefts, and it's just routine. But if somebody here is maybe a bookmaker is operating, the roof falls in. Everybody starts hollering. Well, Captain, can I see you a minute? Hello, Jaffe. Excuse me a second, Klein. Yeah, sure, Captain. Oh, Lieutenant Klein, how are you? I didn't notice it was you. Hello, Javi. Uh, I've got a pistol license renewal application on my desk, Captain. I took it yesterday. Yeah? You might want to think it over before you recommend approval. Why? Well, it's an awful tough spot, Captain. He's a nice old guy. If he doesn't get the renewal, he'll lose his job. It's a rough thing to do. I know he's a retired cop, a sergeant. But maybe he just shouldn't have a license anymore. Why not? Well, he's going on 74 years old. His eyes are getting bad on him. His reflexes don't seem to be much good. He just shouldn't be carrying a gun. What's his name? Thayer, Bernard Thayer. Where's the application? In my office, Captain. All right, get it and bring it in to me. Yes, sir. Right away, Captain. Oh, Elmo's just as good on brown shoes as he is on black, Captain. Oh, sure, sure. I'm good on brown. Anything. Brown shoes. Why the first thing when somebody's made detective of plain clothes, they go out and buy a big brand new pair of brown shoes? It's uh, too bad you don't like the job, Klein. No, sir, I don't. Uh, truth is, I want to get out of it as fast as I can. Oh, sell it, Lieutenant Klein. Oh, thanks. Up it down. Thanks, Captain. Next, Captain. That's what I really came down to talk to you about, Captain. Yeah? I'd like to get back to some precinct in this division if I can. Now, I was on the job for you for two and a half years. You know what I can do, and you know what I can't. If you feel you can give me a recommendation, would you talk to the inspector for me? Well, you don't have to tell me whether you will or not, Captain. That's up to you. But I heard that there's a lieutenant retiring in the 19th. If I can get it, I'd like that job. All right, Klein. If I get the opportunity, I'll talk to the inspector. I'd sure appreciate it, Captain. I've got that renewal application, Captain. All right, let's see it, Jaffe. Yes, sir. Thanks. Are you an extra, Mrs. Jaffe? No, not now, Elmo. Where are you attached now, Lieutenant? Tenth Division. Plain clothes work? Yeah, plain clothes work. Hmm. Someday that's a job I'd like. You got a good break on the assignment, Lieutenant. 
a swell break. To protect individuals against sudden and deadly violence inflicted by weapons which may be concealed on the person, violation of the New York State Gun Law, Section 1897PL, more commonly known as the Sullivan Law, is a grave offense. This law gives the police commissioner exclusive authority to grant pistol licenses in the city of New York. The issuance of such licenses is rigidly controlled. Each application must have the recommendation for approval of both the commanding officer and the detective squad commander of the precinct in which the applicant resides or is employed. In addition to ordering a thorough investigation of the applicant by a superior officer, the commanding officer must personally interview the applicant. Recommendations for approval by the commanders of the detective district and the patrol division concerned must be affixed before it is forwarded to the division of licenses for action. Each endorser of the application, either original or for annual renewal, is held accountable if it subsequently turns out that the applicant is not of good character or properly entitled to a pistol license. When the shine boy had finished with me, I said goodbye to Lieutenant Klein and went into my office with Patrolman Jaffe to discuss the application of retired police sergeant Bernard Thayer for renewal of his pistol license. Ah, sit down, Jaffe. Yes, sir. When did uh, Thayer bring his renewal application in? Yesterday afternoon, Captain. Mm-hmm. Who told you about his eyes? Well, I took his thumbprint. He could hardly find a place to sign the card. Did he wear glasses? Yes, sir, but they didn't help much. Did you ask him when he had his eyes examined last? Yes, sir. He said two or three months ago. Seventy-three years old, huh? Yes, sir. Going on seventy-four. Let's see that application again. Yes, sir. Point you to the force, April 13, 1903. Made Sergeant June 11, 1916. Retired September 6, 1935. He's an awful nice old guy. He's just full of stories about the old days. He loved the job. He really loved it. Uh, what's this employment he's got now? J. Rowe Transportation Company. That's a taxi fleet up on the 25th. They've got 165 hacks. He's a guard in the cashier's office. Mm-hmm. How long has he been with them? Since 1937, December of 1937. Yeah, he stays with the job a long time, doesn't he? Yes, sir. It's just rough, that's all, Captain. Plain rough. Well, there's nothing we can do about it. If he's not physically qualified to have a pistol license, that's beyond our control. There's more than one man involved here, Jaffe. It's a matter of protection of the public. Yes, sir. Is uh, he working days and nights? Nights, Captain. All right. See if he can come in here around four tomorrow afternoon. I'll talk to him. I asked him to come in today, Captain. Oh, did you? Yes, sir. I knew you were on. All right. It's too bad, but if he's no longer a proper person to hold a gun license, there's nothing we can do about it. Well, there he is, standing at the desk. Hello, Mr. Thayer. Oh, how are you? I knew they'd turn out at four. I thought the captain would want to talk to me before that. This is Captain Kennelly, Mr. Thayer. Oh, I remember Mr. Thayer from last year. It's a good thing the department doesn't issue many pistol licenses, isn't it, Captain? That's all you'd be doing, interviewing applicants. You want to come into my office? Uh, yes, sir. All right, Jaffe. Yes, sir. I'll check with you later, Captain. All right. I'll be in my office, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Uh, come in, Mr. Thayer. Yeah, sure, Captain. Seems like a waste of energy to investigate renewal applications every year now, doesn't it? All right. It's a lot of work. Go ahead. Thank you. Have a seat. <clears throat> but I was in the job 32 years. I learned that a lot of things seemed ridiculous and a waste of effort. There turned out to be a pretty good reason behind all of them. Yeah, there usually is. I knew a Canelli down the old second precinct. John Canelli. You any relation? 
No. This goes back many years. Right after I got on the job, he was a bicycle patrolman. He used to chase speeding automobiles on a bicycle and catch them, too. That's how many years ago it was. Uh, you're 73 years old, Mr. Thayer. I'll be 74 in February, Captain. Yeah, that job you've got, uh, wouldn't the younger man be a little better suited for it? Well, as long as the bosses are willing to have me, Captain, I'm willing to stay. We haven't had any trouble there since 1937. No attempt at a stick-up, not even petty theft. You're drawing a city pension, aren't you? Oh, yes. But my pension's based on a 1935 salary, and you'd be surprised at how little that amounts to. Uh But, of course, the sergeant's pay back when I retired was a lot more than most people were making. I I got no complaints about that. Uh, How's your health? What do you mean? Well, for instance, do you have trouble with your eyes? Well, I've had them a long time, Captain. There's no question they're not as good as they used to be. Well, Captain, there isn't any doubt about the renewal of my pistol license, is there? You know as well as I do, Mr. Thayer, every renewal must be examined and investigated, the same as if it were an original application. You're... uh... Nearly 74 years old, Mr. Thayer. You said yourself your eyes aren't what they used to be, and obviously neither are your reflexes. Then there's a chance the application will be disapproved. Oh, there's always that chance. What's the chance in my case? I can't say yet, not until we've completed our investigation. It is just one more year in that job's all I want, Captain. That's all I need. Just one more year. After one more year, I, I was going to leave it anyway. Why one more year? Well, for a very good reason, Captain, the money. No license, no job, no money. And I need the money. You can look it up, Captain. I was 32 years in this job with a good record. Perfect record. An honorable mention and three commendations. Mm -hmm. In all those 32 years, I never asked anyone for a favor, never. And way back there, those are the days when you needed favors to get along. But I made it on my own steam. Yes, I know. And... Now I am asking you for a favor. I'm asking you for another year. That's all, just another year. Well, it's uh, not up to me alone. Well, I I know they'll go along with your recommendation. I I know that. Now, what difference will another year make? None to you? We'll see, Mr. Thayer. When? When the investigation is completed. Well, investigation or not, you've got your mind made up, I know. Oh, I wouldn't say that. Well, you have. But I just want to tell you, Captain, another year means nothing to you. To me, it means everything in the world. Everything. Will you remember that? Yes. I'll remember it. You are listening to 21st Precinct. A factual account of the way police work in the world's largest city. In the winter of 1944, during the siege of Bastogne, the German high command demanded the surrender of General Anthony McAuliffe and his troops. His answer was a one-word classic. Nuts. But even more inspiring to the men of the 101st Airborne Division was General McAuliffe's Christmas Eve message. He told the men that in the face of defeat... They had stopped cold everything that had been thrown at them from north, east, south, and west. And that it was a worthy Christmas present for their country and loved ones back home. By their action, General McAuliffe and his men assisted in the writing of Article 2 of the United States Fighting Man's Code of Conduct. I will never surrender of my own free will. If in command, I will never surrender my men. 
while they still have the means to resist. Now, back to 21st Precinct and Captain Frank Kennelly. Shortly after the retired police sergeant left my office, I turned out the platoon for the night tour at 4 p.m. Before I signed the blotter at 6 p.m. to go off duty, I left instructions for Sergeant Waters, as required by the manual of procedure, to make an investigation of the application of Bernard Thayer for a renewal of his pistol license. In compliance, the next afternoon at 2 p.m., he called to Department 3C, 379 East 65th Street, the listed residence of the applicant. This is a police sergeant, madam. Oh, just a second. Uh, who? Sergeant Waters, 21st Precinct. Oh, well, just a second. I'll take the chain off the door. All right. Well, nothing's the matter. No, everything's all right. This is the residence of Bernard Thayer, isn't it? Well, he's all right. Yeah, he's all right. I'm, I'm just checking on his application to renew a pistol license. Oh, well, come in. Thank you. Sergeant, who? Waters. Oh, uh, would you mind talking in the kitchen? I was just icing a cake. It's all right. I'm Mrs. Thayer. Oh? That's so. In there. Thanks, Mrs. Thayer. Oh, uh, not his wife. I'm his daughter-in-law. I see. It happens all the time. I introduce myself as Mrs. Thayer, and people get that funny look on their face. They think I'm Dad's wife. Do you like devil's food cake? I do, but I... Gotta watch my weight. Oh, Dad loves it. He and Mike, that's my son. He and Mike can eat almost a whole cake in one sitting. It's like a contest. Who can get the most in him? You remember the pie eating contest they used to have at picnics? That's what it's like. I hope I made enough icing. Who lives here? Your father in law, yourself, and your son? And my daughter, Jean. She's at Juilliard studying voice. Uh huh. Oh, she has a beautiful lyric soprano voice. Her teacher says she ought to go a long way after she finishes her training. She's only 19. You ought to hear her. And your son? Well, he's in his last year at NYU Medical School. He'll be a doctor in June. Would you like some coffee, Sergeant? Uh, no, no thanks. It wouldn't be any trouble. It'll only take a minute. Dad tells me how there's always a pot of coffee going at the station house. Uh, that's all right. What about your husband? Well, he's dead. I'm sorry. It was an auto accident. Dad's wife was killed, too. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. I'd better let this soak. If I don't, the chocolate will stick to the pot. Then it's a real job to get it off. You see, Dad was retired. What did you say? I said Dad was retired. He retired in 1935, late in 1935. He and Mrs. Thayer went to Florida. They were going to build a small house and open up a little business down there at Kissimmee. Do you know where that is? No. Well, it's near Orlando. It's very nice. They got the house built all right, and they were looking around for a business. He was only 54 years old at the time. Very young. Mm. Well, anyway, they used to come up to New York about twice a year to visit us. Joe was their only son, and to see the two children. They always drove. Well, this particular time, Mrs. Thayer wanted to go out to Brooklyn. Bay Ridge, she wanted to see a friend of hers. Dad didn't feel like going, so Joe drove his mother and Dad's car. Well, I don't know what happened. Something with the steering wheel, it turned out. Joe couldn't control the car, and it went over onto the wrong side of the street. Truck coming the other way hit them. That's too bad. Here I was with two small kids. Mike was ten and Jean was three. Dad didn't want to go back to Florida. He sold the house and moved in with us. Said the kids were going to have good educations and everything else. So he got the job he's got now. And that, together with his pension and what little I could make once in a while, has been enough to support us and send the kids through school. Now he's almost finished. Mike graduates in June. He'll go into the Army of First Lieutenant for two years. Jean's been offered two jobs already, but Dad thinks she ought to finish up at Juilliard. 
She's really good, so she won't have any trouble. She's pretty, too. So, that's the story. Coffee won't be any trouble at all, Sergeant. <laughs> no, thanks, Mrs. Thayer. How's your father-in-law's health? Well, pretty good. He's going to be 74, you know. He can't run a hundred-yard dash anymore, but pretty good. How about his eyes? What do you mean? Has he been having trouble with his eyes? Well, he wears glasses. What's the name of the doctor he saw recently about his eyes? I really don't know. You'll have to ask Dad about that. All right. But he doesn't see very well, does he? No, he doesn't. Poor Daddy wanted to retire to a house in Florida to take things easy. Daddy's been working hard for the 16 years. Things never seem to work out the way you want them to happen. They never do. Well, I guess they don't, Mrs. Thayer. There's always something to change things around. I came into the station house at 3.30 the same afternoon for my night tour. After I signed the blotter, looked over reports and communications, and turned out the platoon, I went upstairs to the third floor of the station house where the precinct youth patrolman, the safety officer, the civil defense officer, and the hack inspector had their offices. Captain, did you talk to Sergeant Waters? Yeah, he rang in when I first came into the house. Told me he saw Thayer's daughter-in-law. Yes, sir. That's rough. He's putting his two grandchildren through school. The boy's going to be a doctor. Yeah, I know. He's a great old fellow. Yeah. I'd hate to have to be the one to knock him out of the box. Captain? Come in, Sergeant. Oh, Captain. Sergeant Waters. I saw you going up the stairs, Captain. I thought you'd like to know after I spoke to the daughter-in-law. I drove up to Thayer's place of employment. J. Rowe Transportation. Yeah. Mr. Jackson and Mr. Romano, they both were there. I talked to them. They like them and they want to keep them if we're willing to go along on a license renewal. Uh-huh. Mr. Romano told me that since Thayer's been on the job there, 16 years, he's only missed three or four days outside of his vacation, that is. He was laid up once with the virus. You think they'd be willing to keep him on in any other capacity if he didn't get his license renewed? Well, I asked him that, Captain. There's nothing he can do there. He's no mechanic. He's just got a cashier and a bookkeeper in the office. They've both been with the company a long time. They couldn't. And I can see there wouldn't be anything much for him to do. Well, they told me they've got to have an armed guard. It's got something to do with making their insurance premiums less. I don't know. They never had any trouble there, no robberies or attempts, but they've got to have an armed guard there anyway. Captain, after all, it's just one more year. The question is not just another year to carry a gun. There's been no attempted robbery since he's been on the job there, and he's had no occasion to use the gun, but what about the coming year? If he has to use it, he's liable to get himself killed. What about the protection of the other employees there? Family sure swears by him. Daughter-in-law thinks he's just about the best thing that walks the earth. That's beside the point also, Sergeant. Rate's pretty high in my book, too. He'll be in at five o'clock, huh? Yes, sir. Will he come up here? No, sir. I told him to ask for you. You're not going to recommend approval, huh, Captain? No. Well, I'm glad I'm not the one who has to tell him. I don't look forward to the job, Sergeant. Not at all. On the way downstairs, I stopped off on the second floor at the office of the 21st Detective Squad. There I saw Lieutenant King, the squad commander, and spoke to him at some length regarding the application of Bernard Thayer for renewal of his license to carry a pistol. Lieutenant King agreed that, unfortunate as it may seem in view of the circumstances, it would be extremely unwise to recommend approval for another year. It was a few minutes before five that I left the squad office, walked down the rickety stairs into the back room, and out into the muster room. 
Lieutenant Pope was on duty as desk officer and Sergeant Waters on TS. Sergeant. Excuse me a second, Captain. Yeah, sure. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Waters. All right, 26. Yes, sir, Captain? I'll uh, go on patrol at 5.30. Would you have a car around here for me then? Yes, sir. Uh, Captain. Yes? Mr. Thayer came in. I asked him to wait in your office. Oh, I got to talking to him for a few minutes. He was in the job of my father, down the old second precinct. Sure got a well of stories. Yeah, well, I'll go in and talk to him. Yes, sir. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Waters. Mr. Thayer? Oh, that's all right. Keep your seat. Uh, Yes, sir. Well. Yes, sir. We've uh, given your LB-80 a great deal of consideration, Mr. Thayer. Yeah, I know you have. My daughter-in-law tells me one of the sergeants was over at the house... And I spoke to my boss on the telephone. I, I just want to say, Captain... Oh, excuse me. Uh, yes, sir. 21st Precinct, Captain Kennelly. Captain, Inspector McBride is ringing in from division for you. All right, Sergeant. Just one second, Mr. Thayer. I got lots of time. Go ahead, sir. Frank? Yes, Inspector. Uh, you've got the division tonight, isn't that right? Yes, sir. There's a movie company going to shoot some film on the 47th Street station of the 3rd Avenue L. Yes, sir. I think they'll be on the job there from midnight until about 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. We got word in the secretary's office to give them all the assistance we can. I have four men from the 17th to sign there. Oh, uh, could see. you drop around sometime during that time and see that everything's going all right? Yes, sir, sure. The 47th Street Station. That's right. All right, Frank. Oh, uh, Inspector McBride. Yes, Frank. You remember Norman Klein, a sergeant here? He was made a lieutenant about a month ago. Yeah, well, I saw him today. He's up in the 10th Division supervising plain clothes work. He heard there's a lieutenant retiring in the 19th. He'd like to put in for it. Well, you found a good man, didn't you? Oh, yes, very good. It's an idea, Frank. I'll think about it. I'll talk to the chief. Yes, sir. So long, Frank. Inspector Edward McBride, Captain? Yes. He was a rook in my squad, fresh out of the academy. Is that so? Well, that's 21, 22 years ago. I was in the 44th up in the Bronx. I thought he'd get someplace. He made a good pinch his first night on the job. He walked up to a parked uh, car and... <clears throat> Mr. Thayer. <laughs> I'm sorry, Captain. Seems the older I get, the more I like to talk. I, I'm sorry. No, that's all right. I, uh... I've got some news for you in regard to your renewal application. Well, I didn't come to get any news, Captain. I came to save you the trouble. What do you mean? I want to withdraw the application. Oh? I thought about it. I know there's only one thing you can do, and that's recommend disapproval. You can't do anything else. Well, I was in the job 32 years, and I've held a gun license 16 years. In all that time, I never had a spot on my record. I don't want to start now. Mr. Thayer, I... I quit the job. I went down today and applied for Social Security. That plus the pension will... Let us squeak by. No luxury, but we'll manage. I see. Uh, Captain, uh, one thing. Yes? You were going to recommend disapproval, weren't you? I was, yes. Well, you had to. Well, thanks for all your trouble, Captain. I appreciate it. I really do appreciate it. Well... Bye, Captain. 
It was nice to have known you, Sergeant Thayer. Maybe I'll get to spend a little time in Florida after all. Maybe after all. Sergeant Waters at the 21st. We made that notification of 421 York Avenue. 421 York Avenue. Yeah. Okay. I gave it a CB, Lieutenant. Did you tell him, Captain? No, Sergeant. He told me. Twenty-first precinct, Sergeant Waters. Yes, ma'am. This is the police department. Stole your purse? Well, who? What's his name? Do you know him? At what party? Where? And so it goes. Take it around the clock, through the week, every day, every year. A police precinct in the city of New York is a flesh-and-blood merry-go-round. Anyone can catch the brass ring. Or the brass ring can catch anyone. 21st Precinct transcribed a factual account of the way the police work in the world's largest city is presented with the official cooperation of the Patrolman's Benevolent Association, an organization of more than 20,000 members of the police department, City of New York. Everett Sloan in the role of Captain Kennelly. Featured in tonight's cast were Harold Stone, George Petrie, Lawson Zerby, Santos Ortega, Ethel Everett, and Bill Smith. Written and directed by Stanley Ness. Um, this one, to me, it was a so-so one. It's called The Plant. And it's, it deals with an armed robbery. And it's, uh, deals with these three people. Barbara, Nellie, and who did I put down here? Uh, yeah, Dick was the actual one that did it, but then, uh, but Barbara and Nellie, they were kind of, uh, I'd say they were accessories to it. But, just kick back and eat your Sunday or whatever you got and Enjoy. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Collins. What do you mean, robbed? Held up? Where is this? The what bar and grill? Oh. What's the address? Yeah. Did they have guns? How many? You're in the muster room at the 21st Precinct, the nerve center. A call is coming through. You will follow by transcription the action taken pursuant to that call from this minute until the final report is written in the 124 room at the 21st precinct. All right, just wait for the officers. They'll be right there. Yes, right away. They'll be right there. 21st precinct. It's just lines on a map of the city of New York. Most of the 173,000 people wedged into the nine-tenths of a square mile between Fifth Avenue and the East River wouldn't know if you asked them that they lived or worked in the 21st. Whether they know it or not, the security of their homes, their persons, and their property is the job of the men of the 21st Precinct. The 21st, 160 patrolmen, 11 sergeants, and 4 lieutenants of whom I'm the boss. My name is Kennelly, Frank Kennelly. I'm captain in command of the 21st. 
It was 2.20 p.m. I had just returned from patrol of the precinct, and I was in my office speaking to a photographer who had his studio near the station house in regard to arrangements for making new individual pictures of the members of my command, which are required for departmental files every five years. And here are some samples of my work, Captain. Oh, excuse me a second, Mr. Bell. Oh, sure, go right ahead. 21st Precinct, Captain Kennelly. Sergeant Collins on TS, Captain. Yes, Sergeant. The paychecks are here, Captain. All right, tell Lieutenant Pope to assign a man to make distribution. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Bell. Well, that's perfectly all right, Captain. The, uh, samples. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is the size we require, isn't it? Yes, yes, that's the exact size. Mm-hmm. Well, looks like you do very nice work, Mr. Bell. We try, Captain. Well, uh, what do you think you'd have to charge each man? Let's see, uh, you told me you had about 175 men to be photographed? Yeah, that's right. Plus about 15 members of the 21st Squad, uh, the detectives. I imagine most of them might want to take advantage of the convenience. But to be perfectly honest with you, Captain, I'd be willing to give a very good rate to make the pictures mm-hmm. and hope to make my profit in case any of the men want to buy prints for their own personal use, uh, the enlargements. Oh, well, that's understandable, but uh, I don't want you pressuring anyone around here to buy prints. Oh, no, no, I won't. Uh, what do you think you charge each man? Well, let's say, uh, $2. Uh-huh. And included in that, I would furnish them with one glossy, the same size as the official picture. All right. That sounds fair enough, Mr. Bell. Good. We'll get your room to work in on the third floor. Oh, fine. Come in. Excuse me, Captain. Come in, Sergeant. Signal 30 just came over the air. Uh-huh. Third Avenue near 68. An armed robbery at a bar and grill. Bartender and customers are holding a suspect. All right, I'll go. The captain? Oh, uh, Mr. Bell, Sergeant Collins will take you to see Patrolman Archer. He's the 124 man. Uh, Sergeant, tell Archer to get Mr. Bell set up and going with the photograph. Yes, sir. I'll get a car in for you, Captain. All right, you do that. Oh, uh, Cassidy. Yes, Captain. Are you going over to that armed robbery? Oh, yes, sir. Go, man, and I. Do you want to ride? Yeah. Okay. Never mind the car, Sergeant. I'll go over with the detective. We're parked right on by. You certainly move fast around here, don't you? When things happen fast, you move fast. Well, I guess that's life. Yep. Life and then some. We were at the scene of the holdup within five minutes. Patrolman Owen Kenny and Ernest Pagano in sector car number three, the first to arrive in response to the radio signal, had taken custody of the suspect being held by the bartender and two customers. She was a young woman, hardly 20 years old. The victim and witnesses had told Sergeant Waters and other officers that the young woman, in the company of two men, also in their 20s, came into the place shortly after one o'clock and ordered drinks. When the lunch hour rush had dwindled to two patrons, the men got up from their booth, walked to the bar, flashed a gun, and held up the place. They took $230 from the cash register and fled, leaving the young woman, who said her name was Edith Hargrave, seated in the booth. Detectives Cassidy and Goldman began the investigation, and Edith Hargrave was taken from the scene of the holdup to the 21st squad, where Detective Cassidy was in the process of making her fingerprints. All right, honey, it's not that bad. Right, just hold the handle lamp and let me do the work. Don't step up like that. Try it. That's it. Limp. Now give me the whole hand. Limp, that's it. Relax. Okay, that's all. Wash up over here. Where? Over here, Edie. Yes. There's soap and there's towels. Yes, sir. Uh, what about the lieutenant? Is he still tied up? Yes, he is. There's plenty of that soap, Edie. That stuff comes off hard. Yes, sir. Very hard. Want to change your mind about anything, Edie? What do you mean, 
changed my mind. There's towels. I mean, about how you told us you were never arrested before. I never was. Use a towel. Your hands will get chapped. Never was. Honest. All right, we'll see. Honest. Well, like for everything, there's always got to be a first time in there. In the trash basket. Okay, Edie. Come on. Yes, sir. Oh, I, I can take my purse, can I? Sure, bring it along. You sure now before we get any farther? All right, sit down here. Yes, I'm sure. Here, Edie, sign this card here. What is it? What am I signing? It just says that you verify that these are your fingerprints. Oh. Where am I going now? To jail? No, not just yet. I want to go home. Cassidy. So do I. Uh, yes, sir. Okay. All right, Edie. In the office. Over there, to the desk. Yes, sir. Edie, this is Lieutenant King. He's the commander of the 21st Squad. Sit down, Edie. Yes, sir. Well, I understand you picked yourself some fine company. How was I to know? Smart girl finds out before she goes bar hopping with two guys like that. I didn't have a date with the two of them. I only had a date with one, Dick. That's the only one I knew. I didn't know the other. Honest. Did he ever tell you where he lived, Dick? No, he never did. Didn't you ask him? No. Why not? Well, if I asked him, I thought he might think I was curious about going there. Didn't care to have one thing lead to another. You met him when? Three or four nights ago. I told the detectives. He came into the place and... That's where you work? Yeah, yeah, place I work. Sat down at the counter and he ordered a cup of coffee and I, I served it to him. Things were slow. Before you know it, we got to talking. Guess you got to talking too much, huh? Well, he looked like a nice enough boy. The other one didn't look like a nice boy, did he? I didn't even know about him. Dick and I had the date for this afternoon before I went to work. He came by for me and the other boy was in the car. He said, we're all going out for a good time. I said, has he got a date? And he said, he'll get a date. Meanwhile, we'll all go out and have a couple of drinks. So we went to these places and, you know. Are you in the habit of drinking in the daytime? Well, I worked night. You were out with him Sunday night? I, I told the detectives I was off Sunday night, didn't I? Yes, you told us. Where'd you go Sunday night? Went to a few places. Where, for instance? Gee, I don't know. A couple of bars, three or four. Well, where first? Down... Times Square. Where in Times Square? Well, on Broadway, I think. Maybe 7th Avenue. I don't know. It, it was one of those places where the, the bars are circle-like and people sit around watching musicians play on a stand-up behind the bar. Did he talk to anybody in there? Just me. And the bartender to order drinks. Oh. Where else did you go? After that? Yes. To another bar near there. We had a couple of drinks there, too. I think I had a sandwich also. The only place he talked to somebody was much later. A man. Somebody he knew? Oh, yes. Where was this? Another bar. In Times Square, too? No. No, as a matter of fact, it was up around here someplace. Because I remember we came uptown through Central Park in his car. And we came out of the park at 65th Street, you know? I remember that. It wasn't far from there. On Lexington or 3rd Avenue, something like that. I had a few drinks. Well, who was it he talked to? Friend of his. Nellie. I remember Nellie. thought you said it was a man he talked to. Nellie was a man. That's how I remember. I thought, a funny man named Nellie. Isn't that funny? A man named Nellie? What? I don't know. I didn't hear. 
You'll have to help us more than this, Edie. Those two boys are wanted for robbery. I didn't have anything to do with it. I know anything about it. Well, you know something about it now. I hope it's not long before we all know a lot more about it. I returned to the station house at 4 p.m. in time to turn out the platoon for the night tour. Lieutenant King was waiting in the muster room for me. He said that he had already talked to the desk officers at the 19th and 23rd precincts. He would like a description of the man, Nelly, announced at each of the turnouts in the precincts on the Upper East Side in the hope that some patrolman on post was acquainted with Nelly or had heard of him. I invited him to make the announcement himself. With Lieutenant King, I stood behind the desk. It was exactly four o'clock. The 53 men who would patrol every inch of the precinct between that moment and midnight were lined up in the back room awaiting the signal of the desk officer. On the sound of the bell, they marched out into the muster room in a military manner and formed ranks facing the desk. Sonder. The roll was called for entry Scully. in the blotter. Present. Yeah. Turner. Yeah. Underwood. Yeah. Weber. Yeah. Weeks. Present. Wolf. Present. Ziegler. Yeah. All right, men. <laughs> a couple of things. We've had three or four complaints about peddlers annoying people on the streets to purchase toys and flowers. You see any of these peddlers on your post, I want you to stop them and examine their license. If they have no license, give them a summons. Or if they're causing too much of a nuisance, bring them into the station house. I want these complaints to stop. Also, beginning tomorrow and for the next two days, the photographer will be on the third floor to make official photographs for the department files before and after the 8 o'clock and 4 o'clock turnouts. Details are on the bulletin boards. Uh, Lieutenant King has something to say to you. Pay close attention. <coughs> Lieutenant. We had an armed robbery in the precinct this afternoon. In the course of the investigation, we've developed the information that one of the suspects is acquainted with a man who hangs around a bar someplace on the east side. Perhaps in this precinct, perhaps in the 19th or 23rd. We'd like to locate the acquaintance in the hope he could lead us to the suspects. The acquaintance is described as about 35 years old, 5 feet 8 inches and 150 pounds. He has brown hair, rather thin on top. We know he goes under the name of Nelly. On your posts, have any of you men run into a man of that description known by the name of Nellie? Lieutenant? Yes, Weber? Are you acquainted with a man named Nellie answering that description? Yes, sir. All right, you stay here. You're temporarily relieved from your post. Yes, sir. Sergeant, post the platoon. Platoon, can shut. Right face. Forward, hark. Weber? Yes, sir, Captain. Come on to my office. Matt? Coming, Captain. Okay. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Well, which is your post, Weber? Number 11, Lieutenant. You know a Nelly, hmm? Yes, sir. He's one of the guys that hang out around there. Has he ever given you any trouble? No, he stays pretty clear of me, Captain. Well, what does he do? He says he's a mechanic. He might be working at it, I don't know. Hangs around two or three bars there every night. Uh-huh. Had some information that he was hustling policy slips once a couple of months ago. Reported it, and the plainclothesman checked him out. Nothing to it, I heard. I do know he's done time. Oh? For what? Receiving stolen goods, Lieutenant. Recently? A couple of years ago, he got out. Wouldn't be surprised if he still gets into a deal once in a while. Uh, that's not his real name, is it, Nelly? No, sir, it's a nickname. His name's Bevan. Nelson Bevan. Uh-huh. Captain, could we borrow Weber to work with us tonight? Oh, sure, Matt, if you need him. I'd like to send him up there with either Cassidy or Goldman to look around for Nellie. 
Know where he lives, Weber? No, sir, just where he hangs out. All right, that's good enough. We'll find him. Okay, Weber. Change into your civilian clothes. You got your work cut out for you. You are listening to 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way police work in the world's largest city. Men, we're offering you an opportunity to study the various operations and applications of the Mannheim slide rule. Well, perhaps this offer wouldn't appeal to the average clerk, journalist, or administrative specialist. But to the man engaged in technical or scientific work, it would mean something. If he were not already familiar with the Mannheim slide rule, he would be interested. He'd want to know how he could take advantage of the offer. He'd know that a working knowledge of the slide rule would be of considerable help to him in his job. He'd learn that the person to see is his education officer, who would tell him that the course and the application of the Mannheim-type slide rule is offered by Yusafi. He'd fill out an application to enroll in the course and take the first step toward power through knowledge with Yusafi. Yes, he'd do that, if he were smart. Now back to 21st Precinct and Captain Frank Kennelly. As instructed, Patrolman Weber changed to his civilian clothes to assist detectives in their search for Nelson Bevan, also known as Nelly. While Detective Goldman sought information on Nelly through other means, Patrolman Weber took Detective Cassidy to the bars where he thought Nelly was a regular patron. The proprietor of one place told the officers that Nelly was indeed a steady customer and that he came into the place late almost every afternoon between 5 and 5.30. The two officers took a booth in the back of the place and waited. <laughs> sure beats walking the post. Yeah, I guess it does. Hey, Cassidy, how many years you got in the job? Twelve. And in the brains? Almost nine now. Yeah. How'd you make it? Well, I made a good collar. I almost had my head blown off. No kidding. I was walking the post. It was late to a dark and cold. The only thing open on the block was this drugstore in the corner. I rang in for a personal. Well, I figured I'd go in there and warm up a little bit and maybe sneak a smoke. <laughs> so I started into the drugstore. There were these two guys in there, and the doc had his hands high in the air. Wow. So I get out my gun, I don't ask any questions. They start shooting at me, and as soon as I come in the door, but I drop one of them with my first shot and hit the other one with about the fourth or fifth. One of them was dead by the time the ambulance got there. The other's still in Sing Sing. Just got a letter from him last week. That was some collar. Yeah. Well, Commissioner Valentine showed up at the station house at 4.30 in the morning. Had me on the back and made me a detective on the spot. Mayor LaGuardia had me down to City Hall the next day. For tea. Well, I'm trying to make it the other way. I'm going to Delahanty's now, studying for the sergeant's examination. And I... That's Nellie. Yeah? He just stepped up to the bar. Brown overcoat. Uh-huh. All right. Let's go talk to him. Okay. Keep it social for now. Let me spring it on. Okay? Okay, sure. Hello, Nelly. Oh, how are you? Patrolman Weber. Sure, I know you. Patrolman Weber, sure. You're not working tonight, huh? Yeah, I'm working. No blue suit? Not tonight. Nelly, this is Detective Cassidy. Glad to know you. Yeah. Where have you been keeping yourself, Nelly? I haven't seen you around. Oh, busy. You know me, Mr. Weber. Busy. I understand you're in the general merchandise business, Nelly. <laughs> Oh, you got me wrong, Mr. Uh... Cassidy. We've always got you guys wrong, huh? I'm out of that business, Mr. Cassidy. I've been out a long time. That right, Mr. Weber? You know me. Yeah, I know you, Nelly. Hey, how about a drink? How about a drink on me? No, thanks. Well, if you don't mind. Skull. Skull. Nelly. Yeah, Miss Cassidy? Where's Dick? Dick who? The guy you spoke to in here Sunday night. 
I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know any dick. Come on. Let's take a ride to the station house. We'll talk about it there. Oh, Dick. Yeah, yeah, Dick. Where is he? I don't know where he is, fellas. Him and me are just strangers, practically. I was introduced to him just once, and I'd seen him here that night. What night was it? Sunday. Yeah, I'd seen him in here Sunday, and we had a few words. About what? Time of day. We just passed the time of day. Is that all? Yeah, you know. Hello, how are you? What's new? That's all. Come on, Nelly. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Where is he? I don't know where he is. That's the honest to goodness truth. I don't know a thing about him. I don't even know his last name. What do you want from me? What did he want from you? You know the kind of reputation I got. He had a ring and a watch he wanted to realize something out of. I told him I wasn't in that kind of business anymore, and that was that. How did you meet him? Some guy pointed him out to me. What guy? What guy? I don't know what guy. I know million guys. Just one of those things. I stand on 2nd Avenue one afternoon last week, and he walked up to me. He asked me to come over and sit in the car, so I did. He had these things he showed me, and I told him I didn't want any part of them. What, is this guy hot, Dick, uh, this Mr. Weber? Burning. Good thing I didn't have anything to do with him. What kind of car? Uh, it's a Hudson, I think. A tan Hudson. It's 49 or a 50, something like that. Well, that checks, Cassidy. Everything I tell you checks. You know me, Mr. Weber. Yeah. You know me from way back. Too far back. Where is he? I don't know. That's the honest to goodness truth. Where does he hang around? How should I know where he hangs around? All I know about him is what I told you. I've seen him only that twice. Once when we had the merchandise and once that Sunday night. I don't know him from Adam otherwise. I know nothing about him. You give me a snack of Bibles, I'll swear. I still wouldn't believe you, Nelly. You wouldn't? Come on, let's go in. Is that trip necessary? Yeah. Can I at least finish my drink? Go ahead. Well, skull again. Skull, Nelly. It was 5.45 p.m. when I signed the last report in my folder and put it in the letterbox with the other reports and communications to be picked up and taken by the precinct messenger to the 6th Division office at 160 East 35th Street. I got up from behind my desk and walked out into the muster room. Yes, sir, Captain? Go ahead, take the call. Yes, sir. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Collins. Yeah, Coley. Listen, walk around and talk to the owner of that dress store at 613 before he closes. Remind him again to set his burglar alarm correctly. We don't want to make another run there during the night. Yeah, all right. Yes, sir, Captain? I'm going to sign out, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Well, what time are you going out on patrol tonight? Sergeant Rosen is going to relieve me on TS at 8 o'clock, sir. All right. Take a turn by that ballroom on York Avenue sometime during the night. Make sure they've corrected the conditions we talked to the manager about, all right? Yes, sir. And uh, leave a report for yes, me. Yes, sir. All right, Nellie. Step right up there. We're here. That's all right. Hello, Weber. Captain. Sergeant, would you bring uh, up uh, to Lieutenant King for me? Yes, sir. Oh, you found him, huh? Yes, sir. What kind of job is finding me? Who was hiding? Lieutenant King. Sergeant think I was the hottest guy in New York. Yes, Cassidy's here. He wants to talk to you. Okay, Cassidy. Take it over there, huh? Good job, Weber. Thank you, Captain. We got Nellie, Lieutenant. Yeah, downstairs. He hasn't been much help to Cassidy, though. Who said I haven't? I can't tell him what I don't know. What do you want me to do, kid him? Uh, yes, sir. He's here. I don't kid anybody. Yes, sir. I'll ask him. Thanks, Sergeant. Okay. Captain, Lieutenant King wants to know if you've got him in it. Oh, what's the trouble? He didn't say all right, I'll come up. Okay, Nellie, let's go. Pillar to post. I'm going to the detective, Sergeant. Yes, sir. So I get shoved around. Pillar to post. We'll try to make it post to pillar, Nellie, just so things don't get dull. We walked out of the muster room and into the back room where two motorcycle patrolmen from motorcycle precinct number one were sitting at the table 
going over summons stubs preparatory to informing the desk officer of the summonses they had issued motorists in the 21st precinct. Then we climbed the rickety stairs to the second floor and walked into the 21st squad office. All right, Nellie. Sit down right there on the bench. Listen, Mr. Cassidy, you got any idea how long I'm going to be here? Why? Well, I got a business appointment. What kind of business? On a bench, huh? Yeah. Sit All down. Right. That's you want. Captain, am I supposed to stay around here, or do you want me back on my post? Well, you see what Lieutenant King has to say, Weber. Yes, sir. Whatever he wants. Hello, Captain. Thanks for coming up. That's well, all right, man. Weber, good job. Thanks, Lieutenant. Keep in there a minute, Cassidy. Yes, sir. Captain, it's that Edith Hargrave. Oh? We checked out her prints. She's never been in trouble. I'm sure she's telling a straight story about this fellow, Dick. Uh-huh. Her boss called me. He says he knows you, a fellow named Audley. Runs a restaurant up on Lexington Avenue in the 80s. Oh, yes, I know. She waits tables there. Audley said he'd vouch for her. What kind of a guy is he? He's all right, man. Been in business there a long time. He's never had any trouble that I know of. Uh-huh. He's okay. Edie, you remember Captain Kennelly? When can I go? Can I go soon? I will see. You'd know this, Nellie, if you saw him, would you? I told you I would. All right. Walk over to the door there. Let me know if you see him sitting outside. Really? I want to go home. See him? Yes, on the bench. That fellow. That's him. All right. Cassidy, bring him in here. Yes, sir. Sit down, Edie. Oh, excuse me, Cassidy. It's all right. All right, Nellie. Inside. Fill the post. Shut the door, Cassidy. Yes, sir. This is Lieutenant King and Captain Kennelly. Nellie Bubb. Gentlemen. Know this young lady, Nellie? She looks familiar, I'll say that. She was with Dick on Sunday night when he met you. Was she? You know I was. All right, Nellie, you can save yourself a lot of trouble. We want Dick and the guy he was with. We want them in a robbery this afternoon, and we think they're right for five or six more. Now, where is he? I said I know where he is. I don't know him that well. Look, mister, I don't want to waste any time with you. You told the officer he drives a 1949 or 50 Hudson painted tan. If you know that much, you know a lot more. How could I know a lot more? I've seen the car. You know where he stays. He told you where he stays, didn't he? No. Well, where do you think he stays? Well, do you want me to speculate? Yes, speculate. We'll go from there. Well, once in a conversation, he said he parked his car at nights near that museum over there. You know, on the west side, right off the park? Museum of Natural History? Yeah, that one. So? So if he parks his car there at night, he must stay around there someplace, don't you think? I don't know what to think, Nellie. We'll see what we can find out. The interrogation of Nelson Bevan, also known as Nellie, continued. Meanwhile, Lieutenant King had Patrolman Weber take the girl, Edith Hargrave, to a restaurant for a meal. After listening to the questioning for some minutes, I went downstairs, signed the blotter, and left the precinct to go off duty. At the end of an hour, Lieutenant King had gotten no more information from Nellie on the whereabouts of the suspects. He concluded that Nellie knew no more. It was decided to trace the suspects by attempting to locate the car parked on the street in the vicinity of the Museum of Natural History located on the west side of Central Park between 77th Street and 81st Street. Inasmuch as this location was out of the 21st, the commanders of both the 20th and 24th detective squads were called. Each furnished two detectives, and with four men from the 21st, the search of the streets began later that night. Because of his work on the case so far, Patrolman Weber continued temporarily as the partner of Detective Cassidy. Shortly before midnight, they were cruising on Columbus Avenue looking for a 1949 or 1950 Hudson painted tan. Mr. 
Suppose we go up to the corner, take a ride, and come back in the next block. Okay, Weber? Yeah, sure. We might be batting our brains out for nothing. Wouldn't be smart for them to hold on to that car any longer. I know we've got the girl. You give them credit for being smart, leaving her in the bar like that, taking her along on a robbery. Some of them get smart at strange times. Take a ride, huh? Hey, Cassidy, look up there. Go on, straight through. 49 Hudson. Pull up ahead of it. Yeah. Let's have a look. I'm right with you. Yes, I grant you that not everybody owns a Hudson, but there's a few of them around. Yeah. Fill the hood. Warm. Well, I'll try the door. Uh-huh. Well, what's the matter? This could be the car. Girl said she remembered a little blue knob in the steering wheel like that one. Whoever left it here must be coming back for it. Yeah? There's a bottle of whiskey under the seat. Half full, too. Well, what now? Suppose you ring in to Lieutenant King. Yeah. Tell him what we've got. I think it's a car. Ask him to check out the registration and see if there's an alarm out for the car. Yeah, there's a candy store on the corner. Good, use the phone in there. I'll keep my eyes on the car. Okay. <coughs> Good evening. Good evening, Pop. Yes, sir, something? Yeah, yeah, for the telephone, please. For the telephone. Stay open all night, what do I get? Telephone, customer. The telephone. On the wall. Yeah, thanks. What's that? I'm a cop. Get help. Hey, listen. Cassidy! Cassidy? Here. Find the cop. Get that one's gun. How is he? Through the neck. I don't bother with that other one. I got his gun. You hit? Yeah. Not bad, I don't think. Here, let me see. On the shoulder, that's all. They came back as soon as you went inside. They started blazing away. You sure handled them, though. Yeah. Well, here I go again. Tea with the mayor. Twenty-first precinct, Sergeant Collins. What is it? A kid? Who's the driver, you? He was what? Riding a bicycle? And so it goes, Where around the clock, through the week, every Where? day, every year. A police precinct in the city of New York is a flesh-and-blood merry-go-round. Anyone can catch the brass ring. Or the brass ring can catch anyone. 21st Precinct, transcribed, a factual account of the way the police work in the world's largest city is presented with the official cooperation of the Patrolman's Benevolent Association, an organization of more than 20,000 members of the Police Department, City of New York. Everett Sloan in the role of Captain Kennelly, Ken Lynch as Lieutenant King. Featured in tonight's cast were Elaine Rost, George Petrie, Jack Orison, Santos Ortega, Mandel Kramer, and Michael Dreyfus. Written and directed by Stanley Niss, Art Hanna speaking. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
United States Armed Forces. Uh, this show right here, it's about Victor. It's called The Stairs. It's where I shoved him downstairs. You wish. <laughs> well, that's not exactly what I wished, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, so you want me to go downstairs and fall on a bunch of knives? Is it? Nah, I don't want you to fall on no knives. Right. I want you to have a little blood left in you. Head flippers uh, then. <laughs> <laughs> but this one, uh, it's, uh, what did I say the name of it was or did the I stairs. say the stairs? Yeah. Uh, it's about this girl and she's assaulted. Uh, she's beaten up pretty bad. And, um, but the suspect, he, tries to he, he tries to get away and he winds up falling down the stairs <laughs> so okay i'll let you see what happens y'all enjoy it because i did 21st precinct sergeant collins who's trying to kill him how old is the girl 16 where is this yeah He's 75th in the basement. You are in the muster room at the 21st Precinct, the nerve center. A call is coming through. You will follow by transcription the action taken pursuant to that call from this minute until the final report is written in the 124 room at the 21st Precinct. All right. The officers are on their way over there now. You wait outside for them. Show them where it is. An ambulance, too. An ambulance is coming. All right. They'll be there right away. 21st Precinct. It's just lines on a map of the city of New York. Most of the 173,000 people wedged into the nine-tenths of a square mile between Fifth Avenue and the East River wouldn't know if you asked them that they lived or worked in the 21st. Whether they know it or not, the security of their homes, their persons, and their property is the job of the men of the 21st Precinct. The 21st, 160 patrolmen, 11 sergeants, and four lieutenants of whom I am the boss. My name is Kennelly, Frank Kennelly. I'm captain in command of the 21st. I was working my night tour, 4 p.m. to 8 a.m. It was a cold, windy night, and I was on patrol in sector car number two with patrolman Edward Farrell as operator and myself as recorder. It was about 11.30 p.m., and I had instructed Farrell to drive west on 75th Street from 1st Avenue to Lexington, and then return to the station house where I was due to turn out the platoon for the late tour at midnight. After we crossed 1st Avenue, there was no traffic in the block ahead of us, and I saw no pedestrians. Cold weather keeps them off the streets. It's a good policeman. Our headlights cut a swath in the darkness as we cruised slowly in the long block towards Second Avenue. Captain, that old man down there, I think he wants us. Go ahead, pull up. Yes, sir. Okay. Come on, Carol. Right. What is that? What's the trouble, Bob? Killing her. Where? In the basement there. Let's go, Carol. Killing her, I said. Now, mister. Stay still or you've got plenty more. He's all right now, Captain. 
All right, get those hands against the wall. Get them up there. Yeah, all right, okay. Okay, <laughs> sit down on the floor. He said sit down on the floor. All right, yeah. Don't kill her yet, I'll kill her. You won't kill anybody, mister. Watch it. <laughs> yes, sir. Let me take a look at her. Oh, no, don't, please. It's all right. I'm a police officer. He kicked me. Kicked me. Oh, my thigh. He kicked me my thigh. She's only a kid, pal. All right. How old are you? Sixteen. My thigh. My thigh is killing. My face. All right. Just take it easy. We'll get help. Watch him, pal. I'm going to call in for an ambulance. I got him. Everything okay? Come on upstairs, Tom. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know that girl? Yeah, sure. The throw girl from my building. This building? No, the next building. That, that one, the fourth floor here. You know him? No, I never see him. She live with her folks? Her folks, yes. Yeah. All right, you go upstairs and tell him, okay? Yeah, yeah, tell him. All right, I go. Car 681 to Central, okay? Car 681, proceed. At 388 East 75th Street in the basement. East 75th Street, K. That's right. An assault case. Send an ambulance and assistance, K. Okay, 681 21st Precinct. The address 388 East 75th Street, cars 634 635, single 32. The ambulance is responding, K. 63410. Car 635. Within a few minutes, in response to the radio signal, sector car when the call was heard on the radio monitor by the desk officer at the station house, he notified the 21st Squad and Detectives James McLeese and Louis DeLuca hurried to the scene. As we waited for the arrival of the ambulance, the assailant, Joe Pacius, sat on the floor in a corner of the basement with his back against the wall under the guard of Patrolman Farrell. The victim's mother had been summoned from the apartment. She tried to comfort the girl. Anita, my baby, my baby. He wanted to kill me, Mom. He tried to... Oh, my baby. Oh, This is Toro. Don't touch her, please. My baby. Where's the doctor? She'll die. Now, the ambulance is on the way. Well, where? Where is it? Ooh. Mrs. Toro, you'd uh, better stand over here. No. It'd be better for her. Go on, Mom. Go on, baby. Mrs. Toro. Yes, all right. The ambulance will be here right away. Sergeant... Yes, sir. Oh, my poor baby. Yes, sir, Captain. Stay here with the girl. Yes, sir. Is that the ambulance, that siren? Yes, I'm sure it is. Uh, let's go over here, Mrs. Toro. I don't like to leave. I don't like to leave my baby. How old is she? Sixteen. Just sixteen. She'll die. She won't die. No, I think she'll be all right. Excuse me, Captain. Oh, yes, McLeese. Uh, this is the girl's mother, Mrs. Toro, Detective McLeese. I'd like to ask you two questions, Mrs. Thoreau. Yeah, anything. Sure. That's the ambulance? Yes. Good. Oh, my poor baby. This fellow, this Joe Packus, he said he'd known her for a long time. Oh, six months, maybe seven. But she don't want anything to do with him. He comes around to the house. He scares us all. He brings a bottle of whiskey. He sits down in the kitchen. He says he wants to marry her. She don't want anything to do with him. But we're scared. Well, then why didn't you call the police? I said once I would. I said, get out or I call the police. He said, what would the police do to him? Nothing. He'd come back and tear up the house. So I didn't call. They'd come. Anita would lock herself in the bathroom. We were all scared. Well, where was she tonight? Did she have a date with him? Oh, no. She went to a girlfriend's on First Avenue to do her homework together. Uh-huh. She's a good girl, Anita. She goes to school. She wants to learn. She wants to learn to go to business. All right, bring it in. They take her where? To a hospital? Yes. What hospital? Could I go? Yes, you can go. Tell me, what was he doing? Was he waiting for her on the street? 
I guess. I don't know. I want to help. Uh, let's leave it to them, Mrs. Toro. They know what they're doing. All right, easy. Easy. Oh. Put her on. My baby, my poor baby. Oh, Mama. Oh. All right, all right. Take it out. Oh. He come to the house. He said, where is she? I said, out. He sat down with a bottle of whiskey for two, three hours. I was scared. Now, watch the turn there, easy. All right, Liz, up with her. He said he'd kill her. He'd kill me. I was glad he went. Easy now. Can I go with her, can I? Uh, Sergeant. Yes, sir? See that Mr. Toro gets over to the hospital. Yes, sir. Oh, wait, wait for me. You can talk to the mother later, can't you, McLeese? Oh, yes, sir. Right now, I want to talk to that bum over there. All right, you men. Don't stand around here. Get back on patrol. How's he doing, Sal? All the steam's out of him, Captain. He's no trouble. All right, you get on your feet. Why? You first, Hey! Get on your feet! McLeese? Yes, Captain. What's your name? Pacquiao. Joe Pacquiao. How do you spell that? P-A-K-U-S. Where do you live? East 81st Street. 816. What do you do to justify your existence? What do you mean? Have you got a job? Yeah, I work. Where? Different places. Contractors. I'm a plaster. How old are you? 27. 27, huh? Yeah. Well, you grow gray by the time you're through with this one, mister. I'll teach you to leave that family alone. I'll teach you to stay away from 16-year-old girls. I want to marry her. I love her. Fine way to show her you love her, didn't it? Almost killing her. You're no good. You're plain no good. I was a little drunk. That's a great excuse, isn't it? You get half in the bag and you think you own the world. Well, I'll show you what you own. You don't own any part of it. You don't even own your own time. All right, Mike. Take it easy. He should be in the hospital, not her. That's enough. Joe, what are you coming around here making trouble for that family? I told you they didn't want anything to do with you. I want her. I want to marry the girl. She won't speak to me. She won't see me. She can walk with other guys. All right, I waited for her tonight. To talk. We're just to talk. When I saw her, she tried to go away. She wouldn't talk. Okay, sister, you'll talk. You'll do what I tell you. Now, you threw her down in the cellar and you beat her up and you almost killed her. And she might die yet. It was a whiskey. I didn't mean it. Sixteen-year-old girl. Sixteen? I don't know. I don't care. I want to marry. She's a woman. And you're a man, huh? Well, not in my book, mister. In my book, you're a nut. A great big cipher. The suspect, Joe Pacquiao, was taken to the station house in the custody of Patrolman Farrell, the first officer on the scene. Detective McLeese rode with them in sector car number two, and I returned in the sergeant's car, just in time to turn out the platoon for the late tour at midnight. At the station house, Pacquiao was taken upstairs to the 21st squad, still in the custody of Patrolman Farrell. There, he would be questioned further by detectives, and on completion of the investigation, booked in on charges of felonious assault. As the senior officer on duty in the 6th Division during the night... I was called to the 25th precinct, where a three-alarm fire in a loft building had caused the evacuation of two tenements. It was 2.20 a.m. when I returned to the 21st precinct and walked into the muster room and around the desk to sign the blotter. Hello, Sergeant. Captain. Uh, Captain. Red. 21st precinct, Sergeant Collins. What about that Toro girl in the hospital, Red? How bad is she? Uh, two broken ribs, Captain. Her face is pretty badly cut up. No internal injuries, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lieutenant Gorman, Iceman's ringing in. You made that notification on York Avenue. He got hold of the brother. Okay. All right, Iceman. Did they book that joke back here yet, Red? No, sir, not yet. They still got him upstairs. Mm-hmm. What about Fowl? He's still there. As soon as he's booked in, he'll get a couple of hours sleep before he has to go to court with him. That's a mean one, that guy, Captain. Sixteen-year-old girl. Yeah. 
I'll be in my office, Red. Yes, sir. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Collins. Hello, Sergeant. Yeah, all right. You take your meal now, right? Okay. Yes, sir, Captain. Sergeant, I'll tell you what. I want you to... What's that? In the back room. Come on, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Somebody fell down the steps. Yes, sir. That's what happened. Are you all right? What happened, Mac? He tripped. Fell down the whole flight of stairs. Did he? Matthews. He's out. He's out like a light. What's going on? What's happened? Where were you, Fal? He's your prisoner. Well, Captain, but... Just a second. Come on. Sergeant, ring for an ambulance, will you? Yes, sir. Right away, sir. Well, he's out all right. All right, Fal. Where were you? Oh, we were taking him down to book him. He left his hat in the squad room. I went back inside for it. You were alone with him, Matthias. That's right, Captain. Yes, sir. How'd he fall? I don't know. He tripped, I guess. Did he? On what? Captain, I didn't lay a hand on him. If anybody deserved to get thrown down those stairs, he did, but I didn't lay a hand on him. We'll find out about that, McLeese. We'll find out about that right away. You're listening to 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way police work in the world's largest city. One of the more colorful lumberjacks of the Midwest was a lad named Whiskey Jack, sort of fellow who could single-handed lick an entire logging crew or swim one of the great lakes with one hand tied behind his back. But as in all heroes' lives, there came a tender moment. As legend recalls, Whiskey Jack was not much for learning, certainly couldn't write his name. It was always the big X that he made on any slip of paper. And one day he came in quiet like, a little subdued. And when they gave him his pay envelope, he signed for it with great deliberation. The clerk looked, stopped, and called out, Hey, Jack, why the two X's? Whiskey Jack replied, Why, son, I have just met me a lovely young lady in the next river town, and we was hitched. So I thought it only proper and fitting that a married man should change his name. <laughs> Folklore belongs to every nation's legendary past, and I guess we Americans have some good ones. Now back to 21st Precinct and Captain Frank Anelli. Any unusual occurrence concerning a prisoner, injury, death, escape, or attempted suicide is a grave matter. The commanding officer of the precinct concerned is required to make an immediate and thorough investigation and forward his report to the office of the chief inspector and the New York State Commissioner of Correction. Joe Pacquius did not regain consciousness by the time the ambulance arrived. He was taken to Bellevue Hospital. In the meantime, I had instructed the desk officer, Lieutenant Gorman, to telephone Lieutenant Matt King, commander of the 21st Detective Squad, at his home and inform him of the incident. Lieutenant King was at the station house within 25 minutes and sat in my office as I questioned first Patrolman Farrell. Oh, sir, I didn't leave him for a minute, not since I brought him in. You got him into the station house about five minutes to 12. How come you didn't bring him downstairs to be booked until 25 after 2? Well, McLeese was conducting an investigation, Captain. Well, there wasn't much investigation that needed conducting, was there? You were an eyewitness to the assault, so was I. Yes, sir. And you had another witness, that old man that stopped you. Yes, sir. Did McLeese make any threats against this Joe Pacquius up in the squad room? No, sir. You just talked to him calmly? Well, not exactly calmly, Captain. McLeese didn't think much of the guy. Who did? Did either you or he use any violence in the squad room? No, sir. Well, then, when you started downstairs to book him, what happened? Well, we came out of the squad room and into the hall. I had Packers by the arm. As soon as we got outside, McLeese said his hat. We left his hat inside. Whose hat? Joe Packers. Didn't Packers say anything about it? No, sir. I, I guess he forgot. So you went back for his hat? Yes, sir. 
That was your prisoner, Sal. You weren't supposed to leave him. But it was just back in the squad room. We were out in the hall. I, I didn't really leave him, Captain. And when you came out with the hat, Pacquiao was down at the bottom of the stairs. Yes, sir. You were in the squad room with Pacquiao all the time between about uh, midnight and 2.25? Yes, sir. Was McLeese? No, sir. Where'd he go? Well, when we first got there, he printed Pacquiao. Then we went into your office, Lieutenant. McLeese started to question him. He didn't touch him, you said. No, sir. He, he got awful mad at him, but he didn't touch him. And then about one o'clock, McLeese went out. Where'd he go? I don't know, Captain. He said he'd be back. We'd book him in when he got back. I just sat there with Packers until he came back about, oh, ten minutes after two. Any more questions, Matt? No, sir. All right, Sal, that's all. Yes, sir. You can go on home. Packers won't be going to court tomorrow. How is he, Captain? Oh, we're waiting to hear. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Sal. Yes, sir. Tell McLeese to come in here. Yes, sir. Well, Matt, looks like a rough spot, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure timed out right. Yep. I'm kind of anxious to hear what Pacquiao has to say. Well, he was unconscious when they took him out of here. He was unconscious when they got him to the hospital. Oh. We might not get to hear what he has to say, eh, Captain? Doesn't look good for him, Matt. It was an awful wallop on the head he took. Come in. Yes, Captain. Oh. Sit down over here, McLeese. Yes, sir. Hello, Lieutenant. McLeese. Sit down. Yes, sir. Well, you got yourself in a jam, huh? I'm not in any jam, Lieutenant. What do you call it? Excuse me. Sure. 21st Precinct, Captain Connelly. Sergeant Collins, Captain. Lieutenant Gorman would like to talk to you. Okay. Captain? Yes, Red. The doctor down at Bellevue just called back. Yes? That Joe Pacquiao has a possible fractured skull. Possible? That's all they know? Well, they're making x-rays now. Yeah. He didn't regain consciousness? No, sir, not yet. All right, Brad, if you hear anything else, ring in here, huh? Yes, sir. How is he, Captain? Possible fractured skull. I didn't push him down those stairs. He tripped. McLeese, I've been in command of this precinct two years. Every day, 24 hours a day, people go up and down those stairs. All kinds of people. Cops, complainants, drunks, narcotics addicts, everything. In two years, the only man to fall down those stairs is somebody you've been holding back your temper on all night. From top to bottom, he fell and fractured his skull. I didn't lay a hand on him, Captain. And it happens just when you send the only possible witness back into the squad room for a hat. Nobody around, only you. He tripped and fell, Captain. I didn't touch him. You were itching to all night, though, weren't you, McLeese? Well, who wouldn't? I'm only human. The guy weighs almost 200 pounds and he's no good. He's not even near human. He beat a 16-year-old girl within this far of killing her. And he would have killed her if the Captain and fell didn't jump him. So what am I supposed to do, love a guy like this like a brother? I want to see him get what's coming to him. That's just the point exactly. You're a cop, that's all. You're not the judge and jury. It's not up to you to see that he gets what's coming to him. Your job is to bring him and the facts before the people who decide that. Not to set yourself up in a throne and decide who's right and who's wrong. That's not your job. Get that through your head. Yes, sir. Did you throw him down the stairs? No, sir. He tripped and fell. Where'd you go about one o'clock? I went out for a meal, sir. Where else? You were gone over an hour. Roosevelt Hospital. Why? To interview the victim and her mother. Did you? I saw the mother, Captain. The victim was still in the treatment room. You didn't need the mother or the girl. You had two police officers and another civilian as eyewitness. Yes, sir. There wasn't any doubt in your mind that on Farrell's testimony alone, Pacquiao would be held without bail for the grand jury, was there? 
No, sir. Well, then why did you have to go to the hospital at that point? I don't know, Captain. I, I thought I ought to get the girl's story. This was a felony case. Did he call the assistant attorney? No, sir. Why not? Those are your instructions, aren't they? It looked open and shut to me. It looks open and shut to me, too, McLeese. I've got the same feeling about it. After the interview with Detective McLeese, Lieutenant King instructed him to return to his duty. At 3.30 a.m., Lieutenant King and I drove to Roosevelt Hospital, where we found the mother of the assault victim waiting in the corridor. Mrs. Truro told us her daughter was at last asleep and that she intended to wait at the hospital for any word about her condition. We said nothing of the injury to Joe Packy as to the mother. In order to talk to her, we suggested that she have something to eat. She went with us to a nearby all-night luncheonette. You want something else besides the soup, Mrs. Truro? No, it's enough just the soup. Some coffee? No, nothing. Poor Anita, poor baby. I don't understand how she happened to get involved with this guy. How did that happen? Oh, girlfriend knew him. They met. He wanted to come to see her to take her on dates and so forth. She didn't want to. She didn't want anything to do with him. He used to come in the house, breaking almost, drunk like a maniac. He'd scare her, scare me. Sit in the kitchen and holler. He wants to marry her. Push me around. I was scared of him. Well, you don't have to worry about him anymore. I'm still scared. Believe me, Mrs. Truro. He's got brothers. He goes to jail or send his brothers. They're just as bad. One came with him once to the house. Just as bad. I don't want anything more to do with him. I move. I take a need. It's just the two of us. That's all. You'll be in jail? No, that's worse. The brothers will find us. I don't want anything to do with sending him to jail. I told the detective that. I said to him before. Detective McLeese? Yes, McLeese. I told him I didn't want anything to do with it. And uh, what did he say? He said not to be scared. I don't have to. He said... Joe Pacquiao would be fixed, fixed good. Nobody would bother us. Not anymore. Fixed good, huh? Yeah. I told him, don't fix him. When the brothers come around, they fix us. I told him. Maybe I ought to go back to the hospital. This is very nice, but maybe Anita wakes up and where am I? Finish your soup, is it true? Yeah, all right. Then we go, huh? Yeah. I'm going to ring in, man. Order me another cup of coffee, will you? All right, Captain. I'll be right back. Very good soup for a restaurant. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Collins. Captain Connelly, Sergeant. Oh, yes, sir. Corbin wants to speak to you, Captain. He, uh, he tried the hospital. We left there. Put him on. Yes, Red. Captain, I got a call from the Department of Correction man at the prison ward in Bellevue. Packius isn't dead. No, sir. Far from it. He's regained consciousness. The doctor says if you want to talk to him for a few minutes, it'd be okay. No fractured skull or concussion, just a bad bump. He's okay. We took Mrs. Truro back to Roosevelt and then drove downtown to Bellevue Hospital. We drove into the grounds at 30th Street and Franklin D. Roosevelt Drive and parked the car. The prison ward on the second floor of I building is under supervision of the Department of Correction. Upstairs, we were admitted through the barred gates and directed to the room. Thank you very much. It's over there. Yes. Thank <laughs> you. Who are you? 
We're police officers. And I want to see my lawyer. It's the only one I want to see. You'll see a lawyer. Wise guys, that's all you are, a bunch of wise guys. Wise guys, huh? What does that make you, beating up a 16-year-old girl, a big hero? I want to see my lawyer. Tell us how you came to fall down the stairs. My lawyer. That's the only one I'll tell. I don't want nothing to do with you guys. You've got something to do with us. You've got plenty to do with us. Tell us about how you got hurt. Go ahead. Hit me. Hit me. See what it'll get you. Nobody's going to hit you. Laying here on my back. Hit me. Go on. I'll get more. Get more what? Money, that's what. You've got nothing but years, Joe. I'll get money. I've got a bushel basket full. I'll sue the city. I'll take him over the coast for that kind of treatment. What kind of treatment? Never mind. I'll take it up with my lawyer. What about slapping that girl around? What do you think your lawyer can do for that? Nothing. I ain't worried. I'll take only half the money I'm going to sue for, and the city will be glad to get off the hook. I'll get off with nothing. I'll buy a car, and I'll go to Florida. You've got great ambitions, Joe. I guess we'll pin a medal on you, too. Hmm? I wouldn't be surprised. I'll talk to my lawyer about it. I got the city dead to rights. They can't do that to a guy and get away with it. You don't seem hurt so bad, Joe. Yeah, well, the pain's killing me. What makes you think you're entitled to sue the city? Those stairs? From top to bottom? Look, the detective said you tried to break away from him and missed the top step. That's a lie. Well, what did happen? Oh, no. You're taking up with my lawyer. But I wasn't trying to break away. Don't let him tell you I was. He's lying. I don't think so. I wasn't. I was walking down as quiet as you could. There was this thing sticking up, caught the heel of my shoe. That's the city's fault, ain't it? I tripped and I went down, down to the bottom. I looked at those stairs, Joe. That's not what happened. Tell us the truth now. I caught my heel. I caught it on the step. I fell. I tripped on something that was sticking up. I tripped and fell. The city has to pay for that, don't they? That detective wouldn't tell you what happened. He don't like me. He don't want me to collect. Doesn't he? Like he never beat up a woman. <laughs> Big man. Get him to tell you the truth. We will, Joe. Come on, man. Yes. How long, Joe? Get him to tell you. Well, big night, man. Yes, sir. You know, I've got to admit it. I thought McLeese gave him at least a little help down those stairs. Captain, I was sure of it. Oh, thank you, boys. Got a light, man? Yes. Cigarette? No, thanks. Much obliged. We told McLeese he shouldn't try to be judge and jury. You know something, man? Neither should we. Twenty-first precinct, Sergeant Collins. What do you mean, robbed? Held up? Where is this? The what barn grill? Oh. What's the address? Yeah. Did they have guns? How many men? How many? Well, which way did they go? Were they in a car? What kind of a car? What kind? What color? And so it goes, around the clock, through the week, every day, every year. A police precinct in the city of New York is a flesh-and-blood merry-go-round. Anyone can catch the brass ring, or the brass ring can catch anyone. 21st Precinct. 
a transcribed factual account of the way the police work in the world's largest city, is presented with the official cooperation of the Patrolmen's Benevolent Association, an organization of more than 20,000 members of the Police Department, City of New York. Everett Sloan in the role of Captain Kennelly, Ken Lynch as Lieutenant King. Featured in tonight's cast were Bill Quinn, Louis Van Ruten, Phil Sterling, Joan Morgan, Barbara Weeks, Jack Orison, and John Larkin. Written and directed by Stanley Niss. Bob Hall speaking. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. as bad as we hate to we've got to turn you loose now let you put your shoes back on and uh get on home because uh that's all we got for you this week uh next week i'm thinking about doing lux radio theater oh those are nice and um you know you may or may not some of those are an hour long some of them are a little shorter but I try to, um, I, I try not to get my show any more than, um, three hours long for Victor's sake. And, uh, if he keeps being mean to me though, I might give him a six hour show. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, y'all have a good week. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you then. Be sure to email us with your comments or suggestions or what have you. I think there's even a place on YouTube where you can comment, but I never can find it, But <laughs> especially on the iPhone, but I don't know why. But um, See you next week. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>